I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 62. Thank you for listening. Uh, I guess we'll just jump right in because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I will welcome in, well, not welcome in, but I will acknowledge that my co-host Josh Long is here. Josh, how are you? Good morning. Ugh. Good morning. Good morning. We're recording this at <sighs> night, so he's doing that just to bother me. But also... I'm, you know I don't what? like being time specific when I, greeting the listener. I might be I might be doing this to bother anyone else out there too. Mission or accomplished. Someone else in the room, maybe. I'm not following you. Well, you know, there might be someone else in the room with us. You're talking about my cat Charlie. He looks adorable over there, laying he, down. And he loves singing in the rain. It was mainly for him. Meow. Absolutely. No. There he is. Meow. Charlie, how you doing this morning? Oh my gosh. Here's the thing. Meow. The episode that. Uh, this episode, I was very excited because given the nature of the movie that we were talking about, people can actually listen to it. And we've already, everyone has turned it off now. Uh, all right. So we have a guest with us, and it's somebody that both Josh and I know socially. That's why we're all feeling goofy. It's Tyler's cat, Charlie. Charlie. Okay. <laughs> so if you go back all the way to episode number six, I believe, and then episode 20... I think something like that. Uh, you will have heard my dumb friend Sean Richardson, yes. and uh, you know what? I decided, uh, kind of a I don't know, split second decision a few days ago that you know yes. what the, today's episode, I think he'd do well on. Yes, I am wrong. I'm. I can vi- see the regret in your I, face. I know that we haven't gotten to it uh, to the topic yet, but nonetheless, I'm regretting this. But, yes, so Sean Richardson is back. Hello. He's better than ever. Uh, false. I have a cold. Yes. Yes. So uh, so I apologize, <laughs> listeners. Uh, so for... Sean's back, and he's worse than ever. Yep. Yeah, they know that already. I'm back. I'm phlegmy. So, um, Sean, how are you doing? Before we, before we jump into things, let's, let's, let's check in with you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, I uh, Today, we're f- recording on Father's Day, and I... Uh, am now applicable or eligible for Father's Day cards? Eligible, yes. Eligible for Father's Day cards, Mm -hmm. which is weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife is five months pregnant with our first child, Mm -hmm. and so the cards came flowing in. And it, it is. It will be a boy, and his it name will, will be. Uh, hang on, Clive. Wyatt. Wyatt. It will be Wyatt. Right. What? It will not be Clive, mm-hmm. nor will it be Wyatt. We're actually not Wyatt. Or Wyatt. That, that is an interesting take on what? an old favorite that I will run by with my wife, but I'm fairly certain we're locked in. Okay. Um. 
but we're not telling anybody until we can tell the family. Oh, okay. Um, we're going to see them in July. Uh, my community group from church has taken to calling him Justin Maximus until we tell them what the name is. Why would they call him that? And why did you not stop going to that group immediately? Well, I... <laughs> you know what? I, I assumed you didn't. Maybe you have. If I, I can't, I lead it. Oh. Uh, it. They come to my home and meet there. They'll get you, in there, doors closed, windows closed, regardless. Again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, so they. it is Justin because certain friends of mine think it would be... Um, we have to talk about the theology of this. They think it would be a fitting twist of fate should I give birth to a Justin Bieber-like son. Well, it'd be very strange if you gave birth. Well, yes, or my the, wife, yeah. I suppose. Okay. I don't know that what was the theology an odd choice of words. That is. And um, Maximus, I suppose because of Gladiator? Yeah. But... Camp Gladiator. Camp there you Gladiator. Go. Yes, I, I work for a company called Camp Gladiator. That's right. You're still um, doing the... Uh, physical uh you know personal training thing. yes i i am as a matter of fact you invited me onto this show while sweaty and being made to do exercises you resent by me what you oh that's you, right yeah you invited me when we were at the gym man i didn't i did not follow that at all uh <laughs> yes uh it was it was when uh when you and i were working out well uh, you were working out and i was encouraging you to work out that's true yes and I was fighting you every step of the way. Emotionally. Truth. Yes. But uh, yes, and, and I will use this terrible thing to get us into uh, today's movie. Hooray! Uh, because I also train Josh. Josh works out uh, with my boot camp company, uh, mm-hmm. Camp Gladiator. That's true, I do. I can uh, recommend that to you. They, we have locations all over the city, if you are in Los Angeles listening to this. Also in Texas and Austin, Dallas, Miami, Oklahoma City. We're everywhere. Hmm. We're we're blowing up. Are you in Cleveland? Not yet. Mm. Give it a couple years. Okay. It's it's harder to do it in cities that are cold because we're, it's outdoor fitness. Fair enough. Um, what about Raleigh Durham? Ra- you know what? If I ever move back home, that's where I'm. I'm kicking down the door of the Raleigh Durham courthouse and going. <laughs> Y'all people need to be gladiators. <laughs> uh, can I be there if that happens? I yes, would love to see. I that. will invite you. And there's no better place to work out outside in the summer than in Texas or North Carolina, yeah, or really the South in general. We're, we're not in North Carolina soupy. yet. I can only assume that that Miami is like swim class. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. All right. So enough about you. Yes. Oh, I have a question. Uh, yeah. Uh, here in the front. Yes. Yes. Uh, since I've been on, there's, there's a long-haired hippie-ish person who's yeah. here. I, You're talking about my cat, Charlie? No. Charlie was here last time. Oh, okay. Some listeners may remember he tried to drink, drink my drink, drink. Yes. Uh, which was a Red Bull. Uh, today, it would be a double barrel ale from Firestone Brewery. Uh, no, uh, Listeners, I'm, don't worry. Your primary host does not drink. So yes. Your I secondary... Uh, I was going to say secondary host, but... That's that's whoever that is. Uh, your primary guest is uh, liberated by the gospel to that's consume moderately. To say you're the primary guest, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, it could be him. Why? Why is he here? That's a good question. I've been asking myself. Good that for a while. morning. <laughs> uh, is he here to sing Gene Kelly riffs? 
Ugh. Who knows? Who's to say? So he's not not, not here for that. <laughs> so um, yes, that's right. We uh, we've added a, a co-host. It's Josh. Since you've been here, so hey Josh, hey Sean, how's it going? Good. You but may you remember guys... me from. We were just talking earlier, actually. Yeah. All the frisbee games we play oh, together. Yeah. There's that. And the Tuesday Thursday boot camp that you come to. There is that. Frequently, five minutes late. Listen, <laughs> I'm just hey saying. guys. Now's not the time. All right. You live right next door. Oftentimes, the I'm the first one there. Sometimes that is true. It's rarely true because Cindy's there like an hour early. Really? Yeah. For a long time, it was just me and Cindy throwing the frisbee back and forth, waiting for people to show Guys, up. there are mics in front of your mouths. Yeah, I know. I can't, I have, I can't see half of Josh's chin because the mic's in the way. I actually can't hear Sean unless he talks into the microphone. So Okay. That's well, pretty cool considering we, you're not wearing the we'll record it. You know what? We'll record a second episode. Sure. Just so, uh, we can just so you guys can talk about this. Yeah, can, I don't... can we make that episode this one and do the real episode later? Oh, I think idea. that's what we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on. Uh by way of introduction, my favorite movie of the year so far, and we're well into June at this point, and I have no doubt that it will get bumped by something as we go, but Not I that could... attitude. Well, sorry, I don't mean to be so defeatist about it, but... Uh, it's amazing. But I will... Uh, I, I could very well see this movie staying in my top ten Heck yeah, throughout the year, and that is a movie that you have... Listener... You've seen it. You have. I'm so Rejoice. excited I can say that. Uh, this will make up for the episode last uh, two weeks ago that you did not listen to. Uh, Which one was that? It was about Tom McCarthy. Oh, yeah. He's his director. Anyway. I don't, so, I don't know. I'm unfamiliar with him. Yeah, me he, too. He pursued, uh, he pursued the Reds in WWE. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And he Tom made McCarthy. movies about it. Surprisingly sensitive films about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a big undercurrent of communism in those. <laughs> So, um, commies. The movie is, of course, The Avengers. Yeah, it is. I love it so much. <laughs> so, this is why we invited Sean on Be to uh, interrupt me <laughs> constantly when saying words like Avengers. Yep, Avengers. <laughs> so, it's going to be a so completely good. impartial discussion <laughs> of this film. All right. So, as I I'm said, wearing a Captain America t shirt. You are, and both Hulk and The Thing. Yes. Not John Carpenter's The Thing, the Fantastic no. Four Thing. Yes. They're both ben on Grimm. there. Ben Grimm. It's clobber it, in time. I wish is. it was John Carpenter's The Thing. That would That'd be a, be a weird, yeah. <laughs> strange I was, t-shirt. I was reading a, a recent uh, Amazing Spider-Man comic. Stop messing with stuff over there, Josh. I don't... Uh, and The Fantastic Four makes an appearance, and The Thing's line, of course, is it's clobber in time, mm. but this time... He says, what starts with C and rhymes with lobbering? To which Spider-Man, who readers of comic books will know never shuts up, mm-hmm. says, lobbering? And he goes, shut up. Nothing rhymes with lobbering. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. So it's stuff like that uh, uh. that uh, got me to stop reading comics because everything became about banter. Yeah. It wasn't about the violence anymore, which is why I read it in the first place when I was a kid. Exactly. Creative means for superpowered people to use their powers for Aaron Sorkinian type dialogue. Yes. So uh I'm not sure so I'm not sure how much background to give on the film itself because like I said, everyone has seen it. And uh I'm being hyperbolic when I say everyone, but not very hyperbolic. No. And uh 
So I don't need to... Even religious zealots living in cabins filled with guns yeah. went out to see Chris Hemsworth pick up that hammer for the second time. Absolutely. Mm. And men went, they went mainly for the hammer. Yes. Yeah. Actually, they went for... Oh, I don't want to... Do we have to worry about spoilers for a movie that, that made that, that, that is, much that, money? That is what I was going to say, is that I, I feel like at this point we can... If you Look, if you haven't seen the movie... You certainly haven't listened this far, uh, but nonetheless, uh, spoilers, we're Maybe. going to be talking about the movie in its, uh, you know... Entirety. Entirety, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And uh, and so, uh, and it's based on the assumption that you've seen the movie, which is the assumption that we make most of the time. Like, it'd be mm-hmm. weird for somebody to listen to any of these episodes having not seen the film that we're discussing. For the record, I've listened to a lot of episodes about movies I haven't seen. Yeah, but you're my friend and you're supportive. No, that's not why. I just don't... I mean, I support you, but... <laughs> that's I, not why or true. <laughs> I, it is true, not why. Mm. I, I I don't mind uh, going into a movie knowing what's going to happen. Okay, it fair doesn't enough. bother me. Uh, and I'm, to a certain extent, I'm... I'm not incredibly bothered by spoilers. I'll avoid them, but if somebody accidentally lets something slip, uh, it doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yes, but we will be speaking about uh, the most the whole, amazing movie of the year. The most amazing movie of the year, some have said, and just uh, now even. So, but we'll start Fun with, I guess, first reactions. We just got Sean, so he can uh, shut he up. Can just kick back there for a while. Uh, we will go over to Josh because actually, before we do that, so I grew up reading comic books, although really nobody. That was in the Avengers, nor the Avengers themselves. That was not my brand. My brand was X Men. I, I liked the X Men comics, and I, I, I was Wolverine an X Men kid too. Okay, but you're into the Avengers now, very much so. Okay, well, when did that happen? Um, I'd say it probably it probably happened in college. There was just a shift because the Avengers is a team made up of people in a different circumstance than the X-Men. You know, the X-Men are a group of people who are uh, all have a genetic mutation. That's mm-hmm. not that's not the case with the Avengers. It's uh, And they mentioned it in the film several times. It's supposed to be a group of amazing people coming together to do something commonly good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a big Captain America fan, so whatever he's, whatever he's got going on, I like it. You're on board. Yeah. I like archery. Yeah. You have. We will get to the disparaging comments you have made about Hawkeye in the press. You are going to be surprised what I wind up saying about Hawkeye later, but that's for easily forty-five minutes from now. Hooray! So, but yeah. So, though I was not a, an Avengers uh, fan, I didn't dislike them, but I didn't seek them out. Uh, and you came to uh, embrace them later on in life. Yes, uh, in my seventies. I would say that we were both indeed. Uh, I would say that we were both somewhat predisposed to liking the movie or being horribly disappointed by the film. Yes. But, uh, which is why I'm intrigued to now turn to uh, Josh, who was not raised on superhero comics, and find out uh, what did you expect going in and, uh, and how did it live up to, did it live up to your expectations? Did it exceed them? How, mm-hmm. how, how did you respond to the movie The Avengers? Josh Wheaton. The Avengers. Yes. Um, well, as you know, you talked about both of you kind of reading comic books, comic books as a kid, and I never read, I never read any of the superhero comic books. The first one that I think I ever really kind of read was Watchmen, which I read last year. Nice G-rated 
place to start. Exactly. And it's also kind of a commentary on other comic books. So, I don't know. It's kind of like watching a spoof of a movie without ever seeing the original movie. Not totally, because I kind of get it. Uh, having... Because I think we're all at a point now where you can't be part of the culture without having absorbed something about all the comic book movies because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, so anyway, I, I did, did. That's all to say, I got something out of out of uh, Watchmen, but I st- still have not read any of the Avengers, and um, I am in general not a particular fan of the comic book movies. Um, a lot of them because I feel like. I feel like they tend to be an excuse for special effects, and I feel like since special effects have gotten to a point where we we've almost hit like a critical mass where they don't avatar very, yeah there's there's very little that still looks cool i mean uh, I feel like we're wowed more by we we can be wowed by a well put together action sequence still, but a lot of it's just about like can you believe what's happening when this giant you know, when the Sandman turns into sand and goes and no. falls into some big thing. and It sort of, it robs us of a sense of wonder, uh, I'd say, for the most part. Or it can, if used somewhat haphazardly, I think I think it can do that. But there, you know, there are a lot of special effects in Lord of the Rings and that sort of thing. And they still have a sense of, of grandeur and still a sense of achievement because they're creating a world. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm I'm much the same where... where when everything is possible, then nothing is impressive. Yeah. yeah. And which is why when I, you and I, I think, talked about this when we discussed uh, The Dark Knight, that there are special, there are action sequences in there that are all practical. Yeah. And because they're practical, there's an actual achievement in there. Right. Which makes it exciting again. Yeah, because we know some of those things are actually happening that makes them so much cooler. Whereas when we can tell something CG, which we can all tell nowadays, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, you know, that's fine. And when a movie becomes a vehicle for those type of special effects, then it's like, I've seen it a million times. I've seen this movie already, if that's all it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those movies have kind of felt that way for me. Um and when they do that, it seems like they're maybe skimping on character stuff or uh, skimping on a, a plot or at least a, a logical plot. Um, some of them, I, I don't like the way that they just kind of assume that everyone gets most of the mythology for the characters already. A lot of them, I, you know, I have no idea. So <laughs> uh, if you're assuming that everybody knows the backstory to this character or, they, or even parts of the backstory, uh, then it's not so much so much fun anymore so anyway i'm i'm in general not a fan of of uh, those types of movies but i did i did enjoy the avengers um and i think that's because it had a lot a lot of elements that i want a movie to have um samuel l jackson samuel l jackson's the first one uh a good movie has to have samuel l jackson uh, and then really everything else is just kind of peaches and it, cream. It kind of falls into place after that. <laughs> Samuel Jackson, you got some good characters, you have some product placement, and, I, and I'm in. <laughs> um, but uh, I think I think it had some very well put together action sequences, which um, th- there was still a lot of special effects stuff, and maybe the movie is in a way trying to still wow people with stuff like that, but. I enjoyed the way that some of the the scenes 
they gave us something that was almost a little goofy without it seeming goofy, like scenes where you you get all of them together doing the same thing at the same time or kind of like ending up in the same place working together. And you forget that it's unlikely that these people would just kind of run, you know, the characters would run into each other all again in the middle of a a big battle thing that's happening. But it works. Josh, you're seeming to forget that they're a team. (laughs) Well, that's true. Let's Um, not jump to a half hour from now. Come on now. (laughs) I'm just saying. But it, it, none of it, it, it doesn't seem contrived, the fact that the way everything plays out and the way the action sequences play out. And I, I feel like it's surprisingly uh, uh, fulfilling in the way that you see the action take place. Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of things, you're aware that something's going on, but you're not exactly sure what. Or there's the whole Paul Greengrass thing now in action movies where you just get the camera and you shake it around a lot and then you see someone die and you're like, oh, I, I guess that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um but I really feel like I knew what was going on in a lot of these action sequences, and they were well choreographed, they were well shot. Uh, so I liked that, and then really liked the uh, the actual conflicts that characters have more than something like, I'm from space and I can't deal with regular person life. That might be a... What movie's that? That's kind of Thor, <laughs> but... Uh, I can't <laughs> deal with regular person That's, life. I think he says that even. <laughs> That's and false. And then Natalie Portman's like, none of us can, and they make out. That's a good scene. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a deleted scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've seen those. They that cut that out because they're like, how did this line of dialogue, this terrible <laughs> real person life dialogue get through? It um, was just an improv where they were goofing around <laughs> expecting it to get on the blooper reel. Yeah. And it ended up, some editor was like, I don't remember this, but okay. They were both doing it in Michael Caine voices, too, so. <laughs> oh, that's really weird because he's a DC character. <laughs> what? He's Alfred. Well, Michael oh, Caine Sorry. isn't a DC character. Yeah, I thought <laughs> you meant Michael Caine, the actor, is a creation of, uh, <laughs> of, of DC Bob Comics. Kane. Yes. There you go. Think hey. About that. So, it's um, in a very, very lesser known DC run. <laughs> Just Michael Caine shows up. He's like a victim. <laughs> he's a, he's he, being attacked and somebody, Green Lantern shows up. But and, his superpower is acting. <laughs> yeah. It's just like he emotes oh, at you. Like he he tricked he tricks the villain in being like I'm scared, and they're like, haha, we got him, and then yeah. he pulls a gun, mm-hmm. and he's like, haha, he, I wasn't scared, I tricked you with my acting. He mourns <laughs> so greatly that the villain's eyes fill with tears, and they can't see the police cars as they they just trip. drive up and cuff him. They trip all over. That'd themselves. be an awesome power if you could emote somebody into submission. Oh and he's man, like, another job well done. <laughs> that is the best Michael Caine <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. He was only fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that sounds like hannibal lecter trying to do a michael Caine <laughs> impression with a mouthful of food with that no with that mask thing on oh, okay i see <laughs> um all right well that actually that i guess that brings us into just kind of general uh reaction i mean we already went to general reactions but uh specifically the things that we that we liked and didn't like because the and i guess i'll start us off though i liked the movie, I would venture to say even loved the movie, I don't think it's perfect. There's some questions here and there. Uh, there are, as you say, some conveniences. I won't go so far as to say that they're contrivances, because if you if you strike the right tone, it doesn't feel like a contrivance, yeah. but it does feel like, oh, that works out. Stuff like that. Um, but, Occasionally uh, stuff works out in life, Tyler. I know. Not I know. my experience. You'll get there, buddy. Don't you worry. <laughs> Promises, promises. You're a married man. That is proof of the existence of God. Oh. I've spent more than not, 15 minutes with you. <laughs> not to her. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all about uh, perspective, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and there, there is stuff like that. And, and there are films that, uh, that sort of rely on conven- on plot convenience. Absolutely. And those, they get old very quickly. But uh, this one, I don't think, I think it allows one every, mm, every 45 minutes or so. Um, but, uh, which actually I remember in a, in a screenwriting class, they said like, you can allow for a couple of like coincidences because there are coincidences in life. But if you have more than three, and I think she just kind of threw out three, but like if you have more than three, it's lazy writing. Like that is clearly the hand of the writer being like, uh, this is fine. Right. There you go. Which is why people uh, really frown on the two third act. Yeah. That why people like frown on the idea of the uh, Deus Ex Machina because uh, it's just that's the writer being like I don't know how to fix this problem solved here you go, mm-hmm. um, but yeah and so I I don't have a lot of uh, specific uh, quibbles with it maybe the biggest one I have and and maybe you as a uh, uh, Sean as an Avengers fan you can you can fix this however here's the thing is I do subscribe to the theory that the film should appeal to everybody. Yes. Not merely fans of the comic book. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of left to figure this one out on myself. And I came to a conclusion that I found satisfactory. Okay. And that was about the Hulk. Okay. Who I think, by the way, uh, both as Bruce Banner and the Hulk, a great character, I think brilliantly realized. Hands down. The, but there the best is, realization of it. Oh, yeah. That has happened so far. And he only, he only uh, hulks out. I'm sorry to use that term. He only hulks it's out accurate. twice. Medical. Okay. Uh, oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> and one is uh, he winds up being completely uncontrollable and he is terrorizing Scarlett Johansson's character. And in that moment, he's actually – what I like about that moment is he really is a dangerous, frightening monster yeah. to her. And you see, by the way, you see that she is not – you know, she's pretty unshakable. And then when she – when the Hulk is done – with he her. gets that one hit in, and she's yeah. pretty shaken up. And you just see her like, literally like shaking and like sweating because she like he actually scared her. And admit, and the Hulk is a scary type character if you're on the wrong side of him. But anyway, but Bruce Banner knows that this woman is on my side, and he knows that Thor is on his side. But he winds up fighting both. He has no control. And then in the in the big climactic action sequence, he. Becomes the Hulk willingly. Yes. And it's... I'm I'm hitching my theory on that, by the way. Yeah. He becomes the Hulk willingly, and in that moment, he's able to uh, differentiate a friend from, from foe, and he fights only the bad guys, and he's on the, he's on the side of the good guys. And in that moment... and But they never explain how that's possible, and what I... Was a, and that frustrated me for a moment, and I thought, okay, maybe there's a difference. Maybe if he is f- – because when he first hulks out, he's, he's fighting against it. Yeah. And so – and then it, it overtakes him anyway. Whereas the second time, he lets it happen. Maybe by letting it happen, he's able to exert more control over it because he's the one that has decided this is going to happen. Um, like it's almost like the difference between a temper tantrum and righteous indignation. Like an outburst and recognizing this is wrong and my rage is perfectly justified or something yeah. like that. Um, I I actually have a different take on it. And I think this stands to I, – I think one of the things that separates Avengers from – bless you, sir. 
Uh, but Thank I you. have the decency to move the mic away from my mouth. Um, oh, did you? Oh. Well, he sneezed, everybody, if you missed it, and it was rude. Um, <laughs> uh, the thing that differentiates the Avengers from, I'd say, the canon of Marvel up until this point is um, the Joss Whedon's writing. And if you look at his his career, the you know the the TV, the films that he's made, um, he's used to these uh, longer running ensemble pieces where you he has the ability to let characters grow kind of independently and let it be a little bit more organic. Um, and there are a series of events throughout Avengers, and it's between Tony Stark and Bruce Banner about Tony's kind of hands down confident that Bruce Banner to a certain degree is controlling like has some control over the Hulk and in the beginning Bruce Banner disagrees there's um, they go back and forth on it and you know Tony Stark has more more obviously in the comics there's an allusions to it in the films um, uh, you know battles alcoholism and is a man who understands what it is to have a demon um, and I think that's a it's a very it's a very obvious but also very poignant connection to make those two characters attach themselves to one another mm-hmm. in uh in the film and so there's that conversation on um on the helicarrier banner hulks out gets thrown from like is thrown from the helicarrier when he attacks that f whatever it is with the crazy um hover capabilities which is great um <laughs> But then he falls from the sky, and there's that small conversation with Harry Dean Stanton, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic cameo. Um, <laughs> and son, one you have you a could condition. Not, you yeah. could not possi- possibly have expected. Right. Yeah. Just, hey, Harry Dean Stanton's work. And I really like it because it's what you would have expected them to give to Stan Lee. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't because I like that he shows up, but mm-hmm. there's a reason why he draws comic books and doesn't act. Um, <laughs> you know... Harry Dean Stanton has that tells him, you know, you were awake when you hit the ground. And like, I think there's just, that is Bruce Banner's arc. And I feel like so much of, if you saying you, you do this from, from every character we've got in the film, you've got Thor's backstory in his film. You've got Cap's backstory in his film. Um, you've got two Hulk films that have kind of gotten us to that place. And Marvel isn't in the habit of ignoring them. Mm -hmm. you, they may go, okay, we're we're just going to briefly touch on this and move on. But it's almost as if there's a lot of character development that's happened for Bruce Banner before the opening credits have gone off. And you can see it in the way that he screws around with Scarlett Johansson and, like, fakes her out that he's going to hulk out and makes her pull the gun when they're first, uh, when she's trying to talk him into to joining. He's resigned himself to this in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his his growth in the film as a as a person is the realization and maybe even having the faith in himself that Stark does that maybe there is something to this and not and there is something to he doesn't fight it when he hulks out but he has that line about always being angry mm-hmm. and i think there's there's something in that of going oh uh, like I'm always this. Maybe if I steer into the skid a little bit, yeah. it doesn't 
doesn't go quite so bad. Cause, and it makes me think of, you know, times in my own life where I, you know, a series of events goes on. And if I don't, if I try and resist and try and resist and don't acknowledge it and don't engage somebody in conversation and go, Hey, this is what I'm going through right now. Like if I, if I ignore it when it does finally blow up, it's awful. Mm -hmm. But if I can honestly like go to a brother and be like, Hey, this is what's going on right now. I'm viciously pissed and you know, own it, welcome somebody else into it, be able to talk through it and then go to the other side. It's a considerably better situation. So I think that's, that's where Whedon was going. And he's, I feel like as a writer, he's never been someone who's chained himself to the idea of making a character have a realization in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that happened a lot with Firefly. And you know, it's that we'll, uh, we'll touch on this a little bit more. Um, as we get into sort of the, the thematics of the, of the film and, uh, and of the companion film, but it does kind of have that quality of the moment he re- like, I mean, you talked about in, in your own life that you feel this thing and, and you want to just kind of push it down. And in the same sense, it could be, oh, there's this aspect of myself that I'm like deeply ashamed of, uh, because it doesn't fit in with what I think I should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you come to realize, oh, this might might actually be something of a blessing. And and of course, with superheroes, you hear this kind of thing all the time. Oh, it's a blessing and a curse. It's like, and, but with great power comes great responsibility. I'm not following you, but uh, it's from Spider Man, of course. Uh, but with Hulk, of course, I mean, he's he's been thinking of this only as a curse, not a blessing and a curse, but yeah. only a curse. And then realized in this moment. It is a huge blessing. He is able to do more than almost anybody else, uh, any other member of the Avengers, like mm-hmm. with almost total immunity yeah. to harm. And and Stark even mentions that. He said maybe there's that much radiation would have killed anybody. Maybe there's a reason it didn't kill you. Yeah. Which is oddly enough, like it's it's almost as though he's saying speaking in terms of uh, God's will and a greater purpose. But they they don't actually say that. Um yeah, so like that's an example of I had a I had a problem with it because it's not always exp- it's not explained, but there's there's enough in there in yeah. the film that I'm able to come up to come up with a uh, uh, an answer that totally satisfies me. Yeah, um, and perhaps it's even more satisfying because I arrive there on my own. Yeah, um, and so there's a lot there's little things here and there, but uh, and if you go if you go online, I mean you'll find long lists of of problems that people have like little, little picky points. And I'm not dismissing those. They're there. But when it comes to, I think when it comes to most films, um, you do sort of need to think in, in terms of the broader picture and does the broader picture work? Did you still feel Mm -hmm. things? Did you still relate to the characters? Did you still feel in this, in this case, it's an action film. So did you, were you still thrilled and invested in what was going on? Were you still, carried away and if the answer is yes then yes you can those picky points can keep it from being an a plus if you like uh but that doesn't have to drop it down to a c minus or something like that the little problems don't distract enough away from the points of the film and the reasons that you're there and the things that you're supposed to get out of it to it didn't at least for me and i am probably the sort of person who would be prone to that sort of thing so and uh being able to create a long list of problems with a film doesn't make you a smarter film watcher (laughs) 
Dear Internet. It makes you an internet. There you <laughs> Stop go. it. Um, and it and but that's have the thing. some fun. I will use a uh, I will use a more recent example. That's the difference between the Avengers and Prometheus. Oh. I saw Prometheus very much wanting to like it, predisposed to like it because I'm an alien fan. But um so good. I'm talking about alien. alien. Oh yes, yes. okay. Uh, and that's one where I do drop that down to like a probably a C plus because there aren't enough characters in there that I'm interested in. There's not enough in the film that I can latch myself onto that allows me to brush aside the picky points, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so that, so all the, all the little, uh, discrepancies and stuff like that dropped that from like a B plus to a C plus because it's just like, Oh, if there are more interesting characters, then I could ignore those. Unfortunately, there's nothing to distract me from, from these uh, little problems that I have, but yeah. uh, we'll see what happens when that extra twenty minutes comes out. I know I'm excited for that. I feel like the, I, I feel like there is going to be some more character development because mm-hmm. the specifically the captain character I forget his name, but the Idris Elba yeah. character he in that movie he seems as if like we, the movie treats him as if he has more character development than he does mm-hmm. so i feel like the original script must have more to him mm-hmm. because he's like kind of interesting but we don't get enough to get really who he is or what's going on with him so which could I'm, be said of almost every interesting character in the film but yeah. we need to move on from that yeah, exactly. uh but i will i will go to uh to josh real quick um and we'll get to the things we liked about it in a moment we'll start with some of the cuz we all like the movie so the stuff we don't like about it doesn't exist. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but we will be able to get past it uh, relatively quickly. Uh, was there anything that you did not care for uh, about uh, the Avengers? Um, I mean, nothing jumps to mind immediately. There, mm-hmm. In retrospect, some of the action and some of the moments that are big like crowd pleasers are a little cartoonish. Um, two in particular that I can think of. But I don't... I, I can't decide if that's an actual problem or not. I don't know. Cause what they're, are they? The They're both Hulk-related near the end. You can probably think of the two. Is it the one where he punches Thor? Yes. And uh, the one where he says puny god? Yes. Uh, I thought those were amazing. I now, laughed at both of those moments in the movie, yeah. and then afterwards I was like, oh, that was funny. And now, then thinking about it afterwards, I'm like, well, that I feel like that same thing could have happened in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, and it yeah. would have appealed to the same thing. But I, I, I'll, I'll throw this to you. Okay. Take, take Hulk, like the actual Hulk, out of it. If you remove the Hulk from that situation, but create the same relationship... The same moment happens, it just happens differently. Mm-hmm. If you give, you know, two people get in a fight, they have to reconcile towards a greater purpose, but they haven't had a chance to reconcile their disagreement. So when the opportunity arises for one to take a cheap shot at another, if they're not really close friends, he's going to take that cheap shot. Now, if you soak that guy in gamma radiation so that he becomes green and ginormous, <laughs> he's going to take a pot shot. And, you know, it's Thor, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, with It's almost the same thing with Loki. Like, when you give a character an extremely decreased level of inhibition and an extremely increased level of physical strength, mm. you're almost dealing with a five-year-old who can punch through a building. <laughs> so 
of course he's going to grab somebody who threatens him by the ankle and smash him around a couple of times, yeah. check to see, nope, couple more, boom, 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 <laughs> and then, like, walk away, because why not? I I think it's very easy to see it as very cartoonish, hmm. but the circumstances are very cartoonish. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's that the circumstance, circumstances don't validate what happens. Like, I mm-hmm. think what happens is totally, totally makes sense. Yeah. I feel like the approach is a little bit... Um, for laughs and kind of the way I'm it's, sure, yeah. the it's, way almost, it's framed and the way it's shot. It's and, almost, you actually bring up maybe my only other problem with it. And again, even this, I was able to get myself out of, which was yeah. after a while, Loki himself starts to not be a threat. And mm-hmm. that scene where the Hulk goes after him, like that goes a long way in making him not a threat. In fact, making him almost comic relief. Yeah. But I was okay with that uh, after a certain point because when thinking about uh, villains and a specific type of villain, there is something to be said for the villain who unleashes something dangerous but is not himself a threat. He's a threat because he doesn't know what he is doing. Yeah, I think of him more as a stooge in that movie yeah. than anything. So that, so that while maybe that undercuts him a little bit as, as the villain, it, I think, still makes dramatic sense. And... Uh, and and yes, in that moment when when you know it's Hulk versus Loki, which is a pair off that you're not that certainly you're not expecting, mm. and then when it happens that way, it could be seen as a little bit okay. It could be t- seen two ways: pandering because they're like, ah, the Hulk's getting Loki, and you know what, mission accomplished Heck in that yeah. case, or <laughs> cathartic. Mm-hmm. We are we, like we hate Loki so much, yeah. and by the way, I don't hate Loki. Uh, completely, I have a certain degree of sympathy for him, and that's mostly a function of Tom Hiddleston, the, the actor, who I think Great. does a very good job. Mm. But, um, but it's just like we want him to get – we don't want him to merely get hurt or lose. We want him to get his comeuppance. Yeah. yeah. And he's a guy who's so egotistical and so, like, pleased with himself. Now, some of that might be posturing because you do see a little bit behind his eyes of, like, concern that this isn't going to go his way. Mm-hmm. But in that moment – He's posturing with the one being that will not listen. Yeah. Not that any, not the any of the that any of the other Avengers would then not fight him or anything, but it is wasted yeah. on Hulk, and so it could be it could be seen as pandering, could could be seen as cathartic. It's entirely possible it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a scene that in the moment, like I laughed and thought it was kind of awesome. I mean, there was applause in my theater, but I also was just like, mm. I don't know. Whenever. Maybe this is not a good idea, but like whenever a film satisfies exactly what I want, I immediately am like, hmm. Oh, that's so jaded. I, yeah, it is a little bit. But you know what? Because sometimes sometimes I come to the conclusion that that's okay, as yeah, I did in The Avengers. Yeah. And because in, in that, like, Josh, you mentioned catharsis, and I was very much like, yeah, thinking about it, Loki unleashes... Yeah, this is this is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Loki unleashes an army of aliens from deep space on Manhattan, mm-hmm. and he need like you can't kill him because he's friggin' Loki. Like the nerds would be up in arms; they would march with their inhalers, and they wouldn't march very far. No, well, they'd march very slowly. Um, <laughs> now we we are not insulting people who enjoy comic books as. Uh, you as know, as the, I do, as you yourself do, yes. but you don't just look people, like one of those. Just people who have asthma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come and screw, get me. Screw you, my wife. <laughs> anyway, so going on. 
Uh, yeah, but like, I I felt like that five second thrashing was the film giving Loki back what he gave to New York City. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, because he he isn't he is not beaten in a way that you see usually happen in in comic in, in Marvel films or. Mm-hmm. I'm specifically saying Marvel because DC tends to do it a whole different thing. But, like, it's you, when you have the ability to. Batman can't take Joker by the ankle and do that because he'd right. kill him. So, you've actually created a situation where you can do it. So, maybe there is a little bit of indulgence there. But um, the, the death toll on his hands can't go straight to the scene where Thor takes him back to Asgard for for punishment. Right. He has to pay here. And I I I simply love the moment after uh the Hulk walks away cuz it it was it was cheering so loud in my theater that I didn't hear get to hear the Hulk's line and I didn't get to hear the slow release of air out of Loki as he's laying in that crater in the concrete no. of just uh, which it, it was fantastic like it, and i feel like it's those little humani- humanitarian aspects of it mm-hmm. that if those weren't there i could see it a little bit more being like a yeah high five the person next to you um but joss whedon will at least in terms of this film he never forgets the human the human element mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which is important um, it because it helps you connect. Yeah. Now, Sean, was there anything that uh, I feel bad that we that I've been spending so much time on uh, what we didn't like, but at the same time we've addressed what we didn't like in every in every aspect. Uh, was there anything that you specifically did not respond to positively? Um, it sounds I, like not. Well, uh, this is I'm about to be a lot more of a dork. Um, I've I've had casting problems from the beginning with mm-hmm. some of uh, Marvel's choices. Um. They, I think they make a lot of sense, and I think Avengers proved a lot of casting that I'd been, I'd kind of my jury had been out on. Specifically, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and Chris Evans as Captain America. Now, I think Chris Evans did great, great stuff, but because Captain America is kind of one of my favorites, like I, I was a very hard jury, mm-hmm. um, and I, th- I think he did very well. Uh, this one, I'd say, almost more so than than the first Avenger, because um, there are some lines, like some uh, specifically dated lines that Cap has always had in the comic books, and it all like he sells it because he's Cap. Um, that Chris Evans sells in context, like he says "wowie" or something mm-hmm. uh, at one point, and it. It sounds organic and natural coming out of his mouth, which was a hard thing for him to do. Um, I think Scarlett Johansson did good stuff. I'm, but I, the casting of it, I was like, I don't know if this is right, and I shouldn't. You know, I can't say much more than that because I don't know who I would put in her place. Right. Um, that that to me is is always uh, sort of that. That's the bar. Yeah. Is if I can go, ah, it should have been this. With yeah. with Captain America, I know exactly who I would have cast, but he's 20 years too old. Yeah. Uh, and Neil McDonough, if for some reason you're listening, I would have given you the cowl. 
And oddly enough, he was in. He was the in the first Avenger. Avenger. He, he was, was Dum Dum Duggan. Yeah. Which it, that would have been great if Dum Dum had showed up because he was in Shield. But uh, well, it is sixty years later. It is, and I don't really know. I can't remember how that works. Age makeup. Age makeup. That's what they should do. The ninety-year-old Dum Dum Duggan was just covered in young age makeup to work for Shield. Is that know. what you're saying? Well, he just shows up when he's 90 or whatever. Yeah, and then you put Neil McDonough in old, in age ma- old age makeup, and yeah. then uh, Dum Dum Duggan is 90 years old now. Yeah. Sweeping the floors of the helicarrier. Yeah, yeah he'd, he'd, he'd just he'd won't leave. He'd have like a pearl of wisdom to drop yeah. on everybody. Like yeah. He'd sweep up he's and like, turn and be like, well, you know, sometimes you just got to rely on those around you yeah. and then go back to sweeping. Like, everyone would be like, that's a good idea, Dum Dum. You guys should uh, work as a team. Dum Dum Duggan would never say that. He'd be like... If it weren't for my rheumatism, I'd get my gun. <laughs> and there's pearls uh, of wisdom. Pearls <laughs> of wisdom from, du- and that's what would happen. Somebody from working one of the computers would just go, "Thanks, dum dum." <laughs> Make sure you don't miss that spot. Over yeah. There. <laughs> Bathrooms so, in the men's locker room haven't been getting cleaned. Check dum out the dum. latrine. So okay. So the stuff. Moving on. So the stuff that uh, I do like, and I'll speak in in a broad sense because that is sort of how it needs to be uh, spoken of, as mentioned earlier. Um, the biggest thing that I can say about it is that it is it does such it does what no other superhero movie has done that features a team. It has made it seem like a team. It has true. made it seem like a true ensemble. And in the and that's what bothered me about the X Men movies, though I do like the first two, is that. In the comics, they worked as a team very well, and in the animated series in the early nineties. True, um, you know they when they would take down Juggernaut, but no one person could do it. Yeah, you know it would take all of them working together, and oddly enough, you got a hint of that in the third X Men movie, which is atrocious, which is awful. But I've seen that one. Oh, really? I saw the first one and the third one. But you, you missed that. The you best got his one. Yeah, yeah. bad. Josh, I didn't want to see either one. Other people were going to see him. So oh I just man, went with him. I will lend you the second one. It is absolutely worth watching. Yeah, it's. I'd say it's probably in the like. To me, it's one of the top five superhero movies, and that includes uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, and the but and Superman three. With Richard Pryor, absolutely. That's number one. <laughs> Richard Pryor as Superman. But uh, you know who else is in that movie? I think Robert Vaughn. Stay tuned. Ooh. Stay tuned. Ooh. So, um, but no, just the 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 ensemble element, and that's that's why Joss Whedon was absolutely the right guy to make to write and direct this movie because yeah. with Firefly uh, and uh, Buffy, the Buffy, Slayer. though I've never seen it, uh, but Firefly and Serenity, I have it. seen. David likes it. He sure does. I've I've gathered that. David, my co-host from my other podcast, Battleship Pretension. I don't I don't assume people know what that is. So, um, though I probably should. I do. Thanks, Josh. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just giving everybody their due and having an understanding when you put all these characters in one room, what the dynamic between each character is. This is how Thor would relate to Captain America. Yeah. This is how Captain America would relate to Bruce Banner. But he, and then, but it's not just a combination of you know two person relationships because the 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 dynamic changes when you put all of those together, and it's a hard thing to write. It's an even harder thing to stage. 
Yeah. As Josh, mm. you and I have talked about in our fi- in our uh, courageous episode. Oh yeah. People sitting around and talk, uh, sitting around and talking. Like you need to, like it seems like it'd be easy. It's just like, well, it's not an a- you know, it's not an action sequence. How hard could it be? Incredibly difficult because it's never boring. And in fact, the sequences where the characters are standing around and arguing are, in many cases, just as exciting. Yeah. As- They're very memorable scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I I honestly I think the difference is. Uh, if a writer comes comes to a scene like that from the perspective of I've got to know how each er- each character would deal with each other character, mm-hmm. that's a faulty mindset to approach it from. Whereas I feel like if if a writer comes to it from the perspective of I have to know each character intimately, you don't need to worry about how they would specifically respond to one would respond to the other because no, like it's almost that will come out. That seems, you know, that seems weird, but like given, given the like more intimate relationship between Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, um, it would be easy since they have a lot more interaction or the, um, black widow Hawkeye, like they are closer. So it, it, I guess it could be tempting for a writer to spend let them spend more time together mm-hmm. because you know a little bit more about that. But if you know, a, if you know each character through and through, they can talk to anybody because you like, you understand how that, that interaction would go. And you can add in an external stressor an outlier, like Tony Stark walking around, poking Bruce Banner with an electrified rod, which is <laughs> brilliant. Um, like you can do stuff like that and the characters can respond to it. Um, you know, it's it's the difference between it. It re- reminds me of you know acting stuff in college. It's the difference between knowing who your character is and just letting them exist with other people, or trying to intricately map out beat by beat how they will react through a film that, or through a play. They might they might even be exactly the same, but one of them is disingenuous and one of them seems real and lived out. Well, and that goes to some of the writing stuff that I did in college, which was if you create a character that you understand and more specifically that you have an affection for, I I would venture to even say that you love, even if you don't approve of everything they do, a character that you love and know, then after a while, and this is going to sound really pretentious, but I do believe it's true, as you're writing, sometimes the character will tell you what he's going to do. Because what else would they do? It's so... Now, that's not to say that you as the writer don't have to shape things and, and, and make improvements and that sort of thing. Like, But sometimes just like, well, obviously, this is the thing they would do. I know them so well. It's like you're speaking about a friend or a spouse. Like You get to know them so well that it's you're not even really giving that much thought to what they would do because it is clear what they would do. Yeah. And yes. Yeah, so with those, you do get a sense that it's like he was writing for Captain America, knowing full well what drives him and, yeah. and what motivates him and what he wants to accomplish in each scene. And then when those motivations and, and those goals kind of butt up against each other, then that's when the real dynamic happens, but you have to know what each one wants and what, and how each one would go about trying to get it. Um, a good example is, is the argument between Captain America and Iron Man where Captain America keeps trying to push him. Like, you know, you would never be the type to throw, 
throw himself on the wire to save a friend. And, he says, and Iron Man says, I would just cut the wire. And it's like, that's exactly how he would respond. He would try to find a way out of the hypothetical that Captain America has <laughs> set him up for. Because that's how he is. And Captain America would then call him on No that. one puts Tony Stark in a corner. Especially not Captain America. Anyway, so... Wouldn't that be awful if Tony Stark was in that dance movie? Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. That would be awful, partially because how could that happen? I you smell mean if, a remake. Uh, fair enough. Hey, but, the, Robert like, Downey you know Jr. as, as the Tony Patrick Stark Swayze. Yeah. As, no, 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 no. He's, no, as, but like the, in the Patrick Swayze role, but being Tony Stark. Yeah. No, Tony Stark is playing the role. Of, oh, that'd be fun. Of yeah. the girl, though. Oh yeah, because then he doesn't get put in a corner. You could flip the flip the the roles and have a. I'm sorry that I've done this. Have the other one be a woman. I feel like I've, I've it's been pretty good. I, and you broke say, the podcast. She'd <laughs> say no one puts Iron Man in a corner, and then she puts on the suit and blasts her way out. Yeah. That's not the noise That's it the makes least at all. Threatening laser noise I've ever heard. What do you think of this, Wait, Loki? What do, what do you think Pew. about this? Pew. <laughs> is that less threatening? That's than pretty bad too. That sounds like maybe like dust came out where the laser was supposed <laughs> to come out. <laughs> Moving on, uh, so that and that's the thing is that understanding of ensemble. Once you like, once you have that, it will affect every element of the film, from the dialogue scenes to the action scenes, and and he directs both with the right amount of wit. Uh, is is the way I tend to describe it because the action sequences they are they're not merely there they're not yeah. merely functional they are f- they're fun and they reveal character mm-hmm. they reveal I'm sorry teamwork I, I, yeah. that's a big part of this film and it sounds mm-hmm. cheesy to say but when you watch Hulk and Thor fighting together a giant flying alien worm right and you know, and then like Hulk takes this big jagged piece of metal, shoves it in, and then and then Thor uses a hammer to drive it home. Drive it home. You know, like and then when you see when you see uh Captain America on the ground fighting all these uh alien guys, and then Iron Man shows up just long enough to shoot a laser into Captain America's shield, which then splits into three lasers and kills like all the guys around him and then Iron Man immediately flies off because he's got other things to do stuff like that is exactly why the film works why it's better than an average action movie because it's it's rooted in characters it's not just the chaos that Josh was talking about it's each scene is meticulously and lovingly crafted yeah and and I think you know you've mentioned the action but it's that that affection between the characters is much more prevalent in the way that action plays out mm-hmm. because it's so i feel like it's been tempting and directors have of you know marvel projects have been tempted into putting character aside for the sake of the action um in in previous films and this was one where that like yes it may be awesome to watch, you know, something go on, but it has to be organic. It has to come from a place like you can't. And I think that's why moments like Hulk punching Thor, even though they're on the same team, it's the first time they've seen each other since 
Thor hit him in the face with a great big hammer. Mm-hmm. So, just so you know, we're still not cool. Yeah. You know, Any, anything where the action seems to grow naturally and organically out of the characters and out yeah. of the situation, it's much more even believable. I yeah. think, and and it, it and it draws you in more because you're attached to those people and you're attached yeah. to those those things that are happening and the whatever the stakes are, and um, you know that way. The action sequence means something more than it's just, you know, a quick, cool fight sequence that you might be watching. And it's, like, ensemble and understanding how they relate to each other, both in an action sequence and not, like, that's great. However, you also, he also contain like, manages to capture the individual essence of each person. Yeah. Like, the action sequences involving involving the Hulk are not shot the same as the ones involving, involving Iron Man, mm-hmm. which are different than the ones involving Captain America. Like, they all work together, but they all, they all have their individual style. Um, and it's just, it's so invigorating, and, it, and I was just smiling the whole time yeah. I watched it. Um, now, Josh, what... Uh, you know, when you say that you like the movie, like what is it that's that differentiates? And you touched on it a little bit already, but like, what differentiates this film from other superhero films? Because uh, there's plenty of there's a lot of special effects in it, a lot of computer effects. But yeah. what? Why are you not singling this one out as? Oh, this is just more of the same. Well, because like I was saying, I feel like the, those because I feel like these action action sequences come organically out of the things that are happening in the movie, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the conflicts that are, the characters are having, or um, the the interactions that they have, or you know any number of of things that make good movie fodder. Mm-hmm. All those things are where the action sequences come out of. Rather than, I feel like some movies are put together as a series of fights or a series of action sequences, and they're like, all right, just how do we connect the dots between? Um, you know, bad monster v good monster. Yeah, exactly. Have fun. Yeah, between like that was for the instance, Hulk. yeah, the part where that guy with the cards does something crazy, and then the part where you mean Gambit? Yeah, he's not in the movie. No, I'm thinking of Wolverine Origins. Uh, what, don't think seen, of that. Have you yes. seen every X Men movie except the best one? Uh, that one's my fault. Probably. I took him to that he one, and I'm so sorry. I know. But I'm they were like, so angry about it, and they ruined lots in that film. Yeah, X Men First Class was better than I thought it was going to be. True, Michael Fassbender's really good in it. Fantastic. I do like him. Yeah, I just found out he's in something else that I didn't know he was in, and now I need to see. Band it. of Brothers, Inglorious Bastards. No, song Glorious Shame. I know <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen that one. You'll remember we did an episode about it. I don't remember that. No, I don't either. What did we say? I think we came out. Positive. Oh, right. Shame, the the concept of shame. Oh, indeed, yes. It's got to be around. Wait. It's the exception what? proves the rule. Are you guys mm-hmm. Catholic? <laughs> Easy. What? I already bothered them last time. Oh, no. I yeah, guess I'm two new. Times ago. I can bother them. You got to listen to this show more often. Okay, so. Uh, my sister's Catholic. Oh, I didn't and My know brother-in-law. That. Well, let's have a discussion about that off air. So, um, but yeah, so for you, it's, it really is all about context. Like, I mean, provided that uh, that CG uh, computer graphics, sorry, CG at this point could stand for a lot of things: community group, Camp Gladiator, Camp Gladiator and computer graphics. Could so CGI, CGI. There we go. Uh, so, provided the CGI is done well, 
for you, it's all about context, character, and whether it springs organically from the story. I, th- I think there has to be a good movie there if you take all the action sequences out. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a good movie there without that stuff, then yeah who cares like i'm not going to sit through something that's just going to get me from like fight to to action peak you know from action peak to action peak like that's honestly why i don't like a lot of martial arts movies because uh i can understand the appreciation for the the choreography and all that but that's not an interesting thing to me that much i understand how it is to some people so if that's why you're going to see the movie because you'd like to see cool fight choreography then great you know more power to you i don't think that that's a flaw but that's why those movies don't appeal to me so much because since the fight choreography isn't that interesting Mm -hmm. a lot of those movies are more about getting you from fight to fight and uh seeing different cool fight things happen and the stuff in between is you know filler i've been intrigued to see what you think of the raid redemption i am i am curious to see what what happens in that one that one seems like it's all fight maybe it pretty much is yes (laughs) um which uh i did I assumed I would not care for, but uh, I did. Because of the it. redemption? Right. I just wanted a raid. raid. So, what was that? Wait, oh, the raid redemption. The raid redemption. I thought you said the rave redemption, which would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. In any one there's of a, the... There's a, a rave. rave going on in a 13-story building. These guys yeah. come in, they just kill everyone. Yeah, they just dance their way to the top. Yeah. And kill people. Um, redemption. Now, uh, before we before we move on, uh, I did want to talk about some of the character work, which we already sort of have been, but I want to talk about performances. Sure. Uh, I think the acting was pretty much stellar throughout. Yes. Um, like, even people who don't like the movie, and admittedly there's not very many of them, but those that don't like the movie at least say, well, so-and-so is great, this person is great. Uh, and Robert Downey Jr., you expect him to be to be great, and... He was great in the way that that we've come to expect from the Iron Man films, but he was asked to do things in this film that he hasn't before. Yeah. Um, a, a character dies that he not necessarily cared deeply about, but had a, fo- had a fondness for. And to watch him be uncomfortable with those emotions, yeah. um, especially while being confronted by another character, in this case Captain America, uh, he's actually playing some notes that... Robert Downey Jr. as an actor is not called upon to play very often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and I it, think he did a great job. It reminds me of the scene in the first Iron Man where he's just come back from that first mission and he's arguing with Pepper Potts about what, almost like what the future of his life is going to be. And, but he, there, I mean, it's a testament to Robert Downey Jr.'s talent in that this is different. That one was that the moment in Iron Man was affecting and emotionally devastating to realize that his legacy is not what he thought it was mm-hmm. and that his legacy actually is attached to him almost. Yeah. He, in the beginning of the film, he did seem like uh, almost... Um, almost like he's just the steward of his dad's Yeah, company. like he mm-hmm. you know, is untouchable to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so to get stung was very off-putting and then to be stung so personally i and i i i love the fact that it was someone he cared so deeply about but i i also think there's a level to which he was also discovering how much agent colson meant to him mm-hmm. like and being off-put not only by you know the the tragedy of his of his murder but the realization that he meant so much. Yeah. Um, 
the idea of so, not really appreciating something in, until it's gone, which incidentally I think he probably felt towards his father as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the subsequent scene that he has with Loki, where there's a lot of humor in it. Yeah. But there is also you can tell he's really pissed. he's furious. <laughs> like and, and and just so like it is. It's bubbling to the surface a little bit, just and you can see like how terse he is, even when making his little jokes. Yeah, and it's like it really is like Robert Downey Jr. is a much more of a subtle actor than people give him credit for because this there's subtlety underneath the kind of preening uh, performances that he tends to put out. Uh, there's mm. a lot of stuff like in his eyes and just slight differences in how he'll say a line, yeah. even if. It sounds very similar to how he normally would. It's just a little faster or a little slower. You can tell he's playing a lot of level or a lot of mm-hmm. layers and things like that. Because, yeah, there is a difference between... Because we know him when he jokes. We like know what he's like sort of when he jokes. But when there's like the moments when there's a little more behind it or it's a little bit loaded like you, it's almost like you you've seen people like that like you know people who sort of joke around but then you can tell when you can like, tell when the joke changes and you're like right Ooh. when they're still joking but you can tell there's there's something that's not okay there and that's like that comes through in those moments there's a difference between i want to tell a joke and i need to tell a joke mm-hmm. and he know and robert downey jr clearly knows where that is for the character yeah. um I don't. Here's the thing. I could go through every single one of these actors and talk about what I liked about the performance. I won't for time reasons. So, if I'm not touching on, say, a Chris Evans or Scarlett Johansson, it's not because I think they did a poor job. I think they did a very good job. But there are some that I think kind of jumped out a little bit. Uh, Mark Ruffalo for me, uh, brilliant. Yeah. Did I think a great job? I sometimes forget. I think I take for granted how good he, an actor he is. Yeah. Um, and for those that haven't seen uh, You Can Count on Me, uh, go and watch it because he's amazing in it. You Can Count on Me. And uh, it's kind of the, it's somewhat the movie that put him on the map. It was made in 2000. It's a Kenneth Lonergan film. and, uh, and uh, Old lo- Kenneth Lonergan. He made, Mar- he made uh, the movie Margaret uh, this past year, which I I thought loved. you were going to say Mario Brothers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he did that first. It was Mario Brothers, then You Can, you can Count, count on, on Me, me then and then Margaret. Yeah, he really... His career took a turn. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and, there's, and Chris Hemsworth did a good job as well. But, uh, yeah. But Mark Ruffalo just, because he does have, I mean, he's, they're all given a lot of layers to play, but he really, like you said, there's resignation in his performance. And out of that resignation comes a very sardonic sense of humor about who he is. Ugh, and so how great. And how he is perceived. Yeah. And there's, and he's a guy who he keeps this secret in, in everyday life. And then when he finally is amongst all the S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives and the other heroes, this is the first time in his life when he is surrounded by people who know who he is. So he can mm-hmm. finally, at long last, speak openly about this. Yeah. yeah. And there's, but there's still that level of, un- of being uncomfortable, which right. I think runs throughout, which I like because that makes him kind of a uh, – because that makes him a more vulnerable character. Mm-hmm. You see him do he, his instinct is to fade into the background mm-hmm. so that he is not invested in anything going on yeah. lest he get angry. And the idea that Stark keeps pulling him back yeah. and saying, like, come on, there's, what do you think of this? There's a really there's a really nice I, I saw it again. I saw Avengers for the second time uh, this week in preparation for this. And there's a really great moment where he first gets they're on the helicarrier, but it's the first time they get into the conference room. Mm-hmm. And everybody is all of the other characters are speaking to one another and marveling at 
what is the Hella character? And Banner is cruising around looking for exits. Hmm. And it's brilliant. He takes this he just he takes this little left turn and there's a staircase to what you would think would be a hallway. But it's either not a hallway or there are two big doors and they're guards. They're guards there. And you see him edge toward it and because and maybe this is a lot of speculation on my part, but I just, I saw the moment he went, okay, I can get out this way. Son of a, no, I can't. Mm-hmm. And then he had to turn back to the room and look for another way out. And like, you can, it's almost like he's going, okay, if thing, if this thing goes pear-shaped, how do I get out and not kill people? Yeah. It, you know, which is an incredibly staggering thing to try and wrap your brain around, but he's created a character for whom that is a normality. Like I've how if the other guy shows up, how do I get out in time not to hurt people? Well, he, everything about him is awareness. Yeah. He needs to constantly be aware of not merely how he's feeling, yeah, but also everything around him that might affect how he's feeling. Yeah. And should, like you said, should this happen, what can I do then? Yeah. Or what can I do right before it happens? You know, moments like that, like, and it's, and I don't put, I don't put his performance completely on Mark Ruffalo because no. there's a sensitivity on the part of Joss Whedon yeah. that he understands, like you said, he understands these characters and he understands what Bruce Banner's life would look like yeah. now that he's lived with this for many years. And, uh, and Mark Ruffalo managed to just, I was, uh, you know, so many people have played Bruce Banner at this point, and and the Hulk in general. And I've it's like I've a liked a passage. What was that? It's like a rite of passage. Yes, I believe I tweeted at the time that uh, it's merely Mark Ruffalo's turn, and we will all get one at some point. But uh, oh, I want a turn. I I know I you wait do. for Dakota Fanning's turn. <laughs> It'll be she's so going to make a adorable. vicious Hulk. Um, the 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 cuter the Banner, the worse the Hulk is. There is probably. a She Hulk. Anyway, <laughs> Dakota Fanning as She Hulk. Oh, that's going to be a New romance. York lawyer, Dakota Fanning. <laughs> Cousin of Bruce Banner. But but yeah. uh, but I thought Eric Banner did a good job of making a sort of bland, like, like Nerd. Su- suppressed Bruce Banner, which is what he should be as he first becomes the Hulk. And then Edward Norton does a good job of playing a guy who is intense and trying to suppress things and knowing full well what they are. So each actor did what they are required to do in the film that they're in, which they are in, in the film, which they're in. I think that's a repetitive. I apologize. Um, and so as you should, how dare you? I know. Uh, and then Mark Ruffalo continues that tradition of he is now accepted. It is resigned himself to it. And that, I mean that line where he talks about trying to kill himself and just the, like, he says it with, I mean, s- spite. Yeah. Like, he's He's, he's so, so pissed angry. that he can't kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something, and there's there's a long history of that sort of thing in, like, uh, werewolf movies. Mm. Um, like, if the specifically the uh, Lon Chaney werewolf movies where he just kept coming back. And eventually, his only goal in each film was to die. Not to cure himself, not to live in peace, to die. And there's a real, there's a real darkness about that. Yeah. That like, oh, he's finally free in death. 
Um, and so, uh, the inherent darkness of the Hulk character, I think is explored very well, both in Bruce Banner. And then also in that, in that scene that I was talking about earlier, where the Hulk goes after the black widow and is really quite scary. And I think that's one of the things that separates the Hulk in this film versus the Hulk in other films. It's not, you know, I, I think about the, the Banner film specifically, I wonder if that one, like, thinking about it, going, what is this movie about? Because as awesome as it is to see the Hulk, it can't be about seeing the Hulk. Because, hmm. I mean, it's like what you said, if, if a film doesn't can't stand without the action, it's probably not going to be a great film. Mm-hmm. If, if a Hulk movie, I'm not going to relate to the Hulk. I mean, you're kind of muscly. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm my my skin tone doesn't go that way. When I don't I like get, you when you're angry. Yeah, well, that most people don't. I don't like but, you in almost any kind of extreme emotion. Uh, I'm aware. Okay. Uh, any emotion, breath, breath is the context in which I feel like you dislike me. That's not true. Breath I um, I mean, I can't refute that, but I'm pretty sure that's not that, true. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Jot it down if you find right, one. right. Um, <laughs> but like, and so it's. It was about, you know, feeling for Bruce Banner. Not, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't feel for Eric Banner. I'm like, yeah. oh, dude, why would you marry? Uh, and I don't blame Eric Banner. He's shown himself to be a very good actor. But yes. clearly that's what, that's the note he was given to play. Yes. Be bland. But yeah. You know, I've, I found the most tragic thing about that film to be the fact that he uh, um, married the daughter of... Uh, the most grizzled man on the planet. Not his mustache. It's over-trimmed in that movie. Yes, it is. Notably Which is a so. shame. Um, um, but and, like, that, and actually, that actually... This was... I, I liked Edward Norton's Bruce Banner, and I like what they did with the character in that. But in this, there's a, cert, there's a, a small... There's a small moment that's very exciting and where Bruce Banner... Bruce Banner is told that he is being brought on board for his scientific. Oh yeah, knowledge. that was really really cool. And it's kind of, it's almost a sweet moment where it's really? almost like ah oh, the thing that I actually want to be, and that's <laughs> what you want. That's so exciting, and I think maybe that's another yeah. thing that he has in common with Tony Stark. Is Tony Stark? Everyone sees him as Iron Man, but he is actually quite brilliant as yeah. well. Yeah, and uh, that that moment is actually revisited a little bit when. Uh, he first meets Steve Rogers and uh, Steve talks about knowing who he is. And uh, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but Banner says something to the effect of, did they tell you anything else about me? And he says, nothing I care about. And there's, uh, there's a very like, and that's, that's one of the things that actually endeared me very much to Chris Evans performance is there's a reason why cap shows up and is the natural leader of these people. Yeah. He's glue. He's this unifying element. Um, but Banner's reaction of... From anybody else, he'd go horse crap. But when it comes out of Cap's mouth, they're like, wow, you he you believe things that people don't believe. Yeah. And so, <laughs> like, um, uh, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Yeah. Which is my favorite line of the film. <laughs> Yeah, I lo- had a feeling it would be. I just I, I love that. When I saw, because I saw a... Uh, Only in the context of strapping on a parachute and then diving out of a, <laughs> a Quinjet. Um, yeah, because you don't do that unless you have a 
firm belief in God. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so you mentioned Cap being the glue that holds this team together as a team. I'm going to use that to transition us into the larger theme as well as the companion Hooray! film. Hooray! Um, so the companion film is The Magnificent Seven, directed by John Sturgis in 1960. Uh, it starred Yul Brenner, Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, Robert Vaughn, I mentioned him earlier, uh, James Coburn, and a couple of, uh, unfortunately, lesser-known uh, actors. Weirdies. Uh, Brad Dexter and, I'm sorry, something like Horst Buchholz or something like that. He's German. It's probably uh, Buchholz. Buchholz. Okay. I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, the character is uh, named Chico, and you would not immediately <laughs> assume that that actor would play that character. Right. But, that guy um, was German? Yeah, I know. Wow. It's much better performance than you thought, right? So, uh, so Magnificent Seven, it's, it's uh, an adaptation of Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which I have uh, unfortunately not seen. Um, but it's interesting because Kurosawa always acknowledged that he was deeply influenced by American films, specifically Westerns. Specifically Westerns, which makes it kind of a funny uh, turnaround. Makes it, makes it kind of awesome. He was also uh, deeply influenced by Dashiell Hammett. Uh, which led to, I believe... He didn't make movies, did he? No, he, he wrote. He wrote, mm. uh, wrote books. books. But and yeah, I, think uh, it was, I think it was Glass Key and Red Harvest that uh, event- that inspired Kurosawa to make uh, Yojimbo, which uh, I've never seen, but uh, mm. would like which to. Which then was... Uh, isn't Yojimbo... Yojimbo came first, and then... And then uh, Fistful of Dollars. Fistful of Dollars, yeah. yeah. So that's Yo another Jimbo? one. Yojimbo? Yeah. That's one of my... Like... Yo, Jimbo! No, there's no one named Jimbo in this movie. I'm sorry. And he knows a lot of construction workers. Yo! Yo, Jimbo! Why has he got to be a construction worker? It takes place in New York. Because construction workers talk like that. They say things like yo. Or if you just live in South Jersey. You know what bothers me? Uh, My iPhone won't learn yo and continues to try and autocorrect it. Does it try and change it to yo, Jimbo? Maybe if I did that, it would stop trying to autocorrect it. You should try and autosave yo, Jimbo in there and see what happens. I think maybe you should take a cue from your phone and stop trying to text people, yo. No. Yo. How would they know it's me? Probably your name at the top of the... Yeah. That's not and I, I think you could probably, I don't know, put put some of your little markers elsewhere in the text. Like, let's work out, or I just got back from lifting weights, or something like that. Anyway, so... <laughs> I am contractually obligated by Camp Gladiator to include that somewhere in every conversation I've had. <laughs> I just finished lifting weights. Or I'm on my way to go lift weights. Yes. So you understand, of course, that my uh, making fun of you comes out of an intense envy. So The Magnificent Seven, great cast. It is consider- Oh, and you know what? I didn't write this down, but uh, a score consi- by Elmer, Elmer Bernstein considered mm-hmm. by many to be one of the best musical scores of all time. And one that you've probably heard, even if you've yeah, never seen the Yeah, shocked by that. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh. Uh, I think I saw this in eight commercials. Right. Yeah. Um, Every commercial with a horse that's has one. this. That gets you pretty excited, that theme. Yeah. And uh, and so it's um, it's a pretty it's a classic Western at this point. I, I saw it a few years ago, and then I rewatched it, uh, anticipating this uh, episode. And the story is pretty simple. You will be aware. You know what? It's so simple, in fact, that they have taken that idea for movies such as The Three Amigos and A Bug's Life, which is there yeah. is there is a small town uh, in Mexico that is being regularly terrorized and uh, exploited um, by a band of 
Banditos. Banditos. A band of banditos, indeed. And they are covered taking- in band-aids. There is a band. They have a band. Yes, it's called the band. <laughs> the- <laughs> this movie stars the band, the band, as the banditos. Uh, Good night, everybody. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> if that means you're going to stop talking, that's fine. <laughs> no, I just thought people might be going to sleep by now. Okay. So. Oh, there's. They wish. It is fun because it's <laughs> 10 minutes to my bedtime. Oh, sorry, buddy. No worries. Uh, don't worry, everybody. We're going to talk about Steve McQueen in a bit here. Steve McQueen. Yeah, I guess we will. I'm not a huge fan of him. I'm. A, I am. Yeah, he Steve he McQueen, makes anything look cool. He can do no wrong for me. He's I I he's I didn't know cool. that that line I deal in lead is in this movie. <laughs> we deal in lead. I, I I'm convinced that uh, uh, Brad Pitt based his performance in Ocean's Eleven off of Steve McQueen. Oh, I, I have no doubt of that. that. But like I I think of those two kind of at the same time. Um, because it's like Steve McQueen. He's always doing something, but he seems so passive all the time. He's just kind of sitting back and. I don't know, eating something or whatever. There's a really great moment in Magnificent Seven where someone is drunk in a bar, like causing a ruckus, and he pulls the gun over to Steve McQueen and the bartender, and Steve just casually grabs the liquor and moves it out of the way (laughs) and looks for everyone in the room like he couldn't be, like, he's just curious to know how this is going to play out. But he's like, oh, well, let's say the important booze. I'm sorry, were you going to kill the man standing next to me? I've, <laughs> I've moved my booze. You can do that now. <laughs> like, casually pours himself a drink. Like, I find his nonchalance and his general coolness to be forced. I don't no. know. Really? Not, not unlike the hipster who has like bedhead, but like they took a lot of time to make it seem as though they just got That's out of bed. That's racist. What? Hipsters are a race now. Oh. You didn't know? Mm. Oh, man. I did not watch the news yesterday. Yeah, they're born <laughs> in Silver Lake. <laughs> it's genetic, apparently. Yeah. So, and if you are a hipster, you are genetically drawn to Silver Lake. Now, admittedly, like swallows to Capistrano. I'm just going to ignore what you're saying, and Fine. I'm going to continue with what I was saying, which is I've only, Good. I think I've only seen Steve McQueen in this and another film, and I'm assuming I've seen another film, The Great Escape. Have not seen it. Have not seen Bullet. Have He's, not seen Thomas Crown Affair. Have not seen The Sand Pebbles. Uh, what's the one with Papillon? Up. Oh! All right. He's in that. It's been so many years ago <laughs> that I don't really remember. I I think I was paying more attention to Dustin Hoffman, admittedly, because his was the more mannered performance that I Could liked be. at the time. But um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I think I still enjoyed his character. But uh, so this small village is being uh, terrorized by banditos, and that's all we're going to say at that moment. We're not going to say band or band aid or bandit or the band. Or the band, although I guess I just did. Sorry, everybody. And so the village puts together what few resources they have, and they hire a band of gunslingers, and led by pretty much led by Yul Brenner. I, I, there's no official leader, but I guess he's the first one hired. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so then Chris, and so they they uh, fight against the. So these seven guys fight against a uh, a group of about forty. Forty. And uh, and that's that's the basic story. So of course they're outgunned, uh, they're outmanned, and they still manage to uh, vanquish vanquish the foes. Spoilers. Um, so one thing that I I believe uh, Josh, I believe 
you're the one that picked Magnificent Seven as the mm. companion film. I was thinking of a different film that's similar, but not... Ocean's Eleven? Uh, I was going to go with The Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. All of them have numbers in them. There's no question. <laughs> but uh, but I think when, when Josh suge- suggested Magnificent Seven, I think I liked that more. Because these are guys who voluntarily came together uh, to fight a common enemy mm-hmm. whereas the dirty dozen they were already prisoners they were forced to fight together and the people they were fighting were kind of faceless they're just nazis mm-hmm. and uh quite evil yeah the nazi so average nazis evil i don't know i think they're just following orders no that can't be right i don't know i saw all, Qu- all quiet on the western front that's world war one never mind <laughs> so uh <laughs> I said it just as I, I realized I was like, 1930, before World War II. That's World War One. No Nazis. Uh-huh. Got it. So, um, so that yeah, so I think Magnificent Seven actually worked better because you have people who at any moment can leave. They don't have to do this. Now, they're doing it. They're each offered $20, which even at the time is not enough for four to six weeks worth of work and they could get <laughs> and killed the risk of death yeah uh <laughs> but each one says yes for his own purposes and they each bring a specific i mean it's all basically the same skill set but a mm-hmm. different level of skill and a different backstory to it and james so i coburn think it throws knives james coburn throws knives faster than man can shoot a gun heck yeah yeah what do you think of that um it's a burden he must bear it sure is. Although he seems like I like, I'm more of a James Coburn man than a Stephen Queen man. I like James Coburn. I'm a but Stephen Queen man and a Charles Bronson man. Charles Bronson's pretty great too. He Bronson. spanks a kid. He sure does. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that part for calling his father a coward. Not Charles Bronson's father. The kid calls his own father a coward. And Charles he, Bronson. Charles gets very Bronson upset. pulls him over, over his knee. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anything in life more terrifying than the prospect of being pulled over the knee of Charles Bronson. I love Charles Bronson because he, he's just not having it. He's like, no, yeah. this isn't happening. <laughs> yeah he's uh and he gives a nice little uh, it he sort of delivers one of the themes of the film uh which would i think go on to somewhat define the revisionist western which is like and and various ele- various uh lines in the film kind of talk about that this idea of we don't have any friends we have absolutely nothing to tie us down uh in a good way i mean uh kind of ground us in a world of love and acceptance and for example that kid calls his father a coward and he spanks him and he says your father does something braver than i ever did you know he you know he takes on responsibility and i believe he describes you know farming and taking care of your family that's just like a big rock that is just forcing him into the ground, but he carries it because he loves you and he wants to. Yeah. And so that combined with um, a conversation that the gunslingers are having talking about the pros and cons of a life as a hired gun. Right. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, uh, the remaining, uh, those that are left of the gunslingers, because not all of them make it, they, uh, uh, and Yul Brenner, no less, he says, the farmers win, but we lost. Yeah. We always lose. The implication then being they get to go back to being you know, a part of their family and living a peaceful life. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, even though we have lived another day, we have to continue being this. Yeah. And all th- those are all things that I think would go on yeah. to uh, be explored in movies like Unforgiven Definitely. and stuff or like The that. Wild Bunch was another oh, one yeah. that would have come shortly afterwards, I think. And that's yeah. one that, that 
surges through that in a much uh much more depressing way i guess oh yes <laughs> yes i was actually thinking when you mentioned Mag- magnificent seven as the possible companion film i was thinking the wild bunch i was like uh the wild no. bunch is so much more fatalistic i yeah. think than than the avengers yeah <laughs> so. what the devil you say yeah so uh so yes magnificent seven much like the avengers it has all these characters from separate walks of life and they all get involved in this thing uh they're all fighting against the same enemy but they all sort of have their their specific reasons for doing so um like for example robert vaughn as the character lee who might be i'm not sure if i'd say he's my favorite character but i find him to be the most intriguing character uh because there's so much to him uh he plays like lee a is dandy he's kind of a dandy he wears like these black gloves and he's always you know Cravette. everyone else is everyone else is in you know denim and he's got like a nice vest and a nice shirt and all that uh but he is it's pretty much assumed that i mean he's a professional gunslinger and he's very very good mm. he's also uh noted to be uh on the run like he's yes. wanted yes and so, but even though he's wanted, he will still try to live as highly as possible. Um, and so all, already there's a lot of interesting things to his character, but he also has been doing this for so long that he is, in his own words, starting to lose his nerve. And he has, he's starting to have nightmares about getting killed, yeah. and he is frightened. And the film examines that as well, and it does not condemn that, where I think earlier film, earlier westerns would have. And it's also him finding his nerve in the midst of the battle and doing what he can. And I find that character... And it's almost like... I mean, he's on the run from the law, and he finds himself in the middle of this thing, and he comments on it saying, like, you know, hiding a coward hiding in the middle of a battle is a uh, kind of a bad idea. I'm paraphrasing. Um, no, that sounds about right. Yeah. It's, it is kind of a bad idea. I'll see you, I'll see you later, guys. <laughs> but, uh, but he... You do get the impression that though he never declares it, he's sort of looking for his courage in the midst of this battle. Yeah. Um, and then you get uh, James Coburn's character, who is sort of the best there is at various things. And so they say, who's he competing against? And they say himself. So it's almost like he's viewing this as a challenge for himself. Um, you don't totally know why Yul Brenner is doing it, except he seems to have a longing for this life. And so he will defend it. Yeah. Uh, the, not the, not his life, the life of the, the quiet of farmer. The life, yeah, you know. Also, he's Yule Brenner. Yeah, you don't question that guy, no. especially not in Westworld. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, I thought he did it because he was an evil robot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did Westworld? it because he did it because he's King Ramses. Uh, of the King and I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, have you ever seen Westworld, Sean? No, it's really good. Um, it's it's a nice sci-fi western. Which Westworld. If, if they were to do like a a really dark remake, that could be an awesome yeah, remake. They'd ruin it, probably. Yeah, they'd do it like all glitzy, and yeah. he'd be played by Colin Farrell or something like that. And the hero, instead of being played by Richard Benjamin, would be like Vin Diesel or something like that. Ugh. So, though he's not Vin Diesel is not a bad actor. He's just not often you find me guilty. He's in a movie called Find Me Guilty, directed by Sidney Lumet, and he's very good. He's very good in Find Me Guilty. So I haven't seen that. That's neither here nor there. Um, so that actually is one thing that I wanted to. That's that's the big thing that we're going to be discussing is the idea from a Christian standpoint that everybody we all have specific talents. Uh, we all have 
life experiences. We all have one could say baggage that we bring to uh, to our faith and to our role in the larger Christian community. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we are unified through Christ, but also you know in the in this case uh, in terms of battle, you know against. Satan, and I find it interesting. And his banditos, and his banditos, and his aliens, and his uh, big machine worms that fly through the city, and Thanos. Spoilers. What? I know it's fine. Um, I don't even know what you're saying. It's fine. The it's, whole thing. Uh, Loki was a pawn through the whole thing. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it was and orchestrated by the guy at the end that you see, the guy with the purple face and the weird chin. Yeah, with okay. like seven chin dimples. Yeah, whose name yeah. is Thanos. Got he's a he's a big time Marvel villain. Ah, so it's gonna be off the chain. I have no idea how they're gonna do it. I don't know how they're gonna do it. I don't know how. T- to be perfectly honest, I think it's a bit too far into like the extravagance of the comic world. I don't know if they could pull. Like, I mean, I I don't know if they could go Infinity Gauntlet. Neither here nor there. Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Uh, and I Sorry. did want to. I did actually want to. Uh, I I wrote down some quotes. Uh, one that Loki says and one that Calvera says and Calvera is played we didn't really mention this he's the bad guy in he's the bad guy Seven. in Magnificent Seven played by the wonderful Eli Wallach Eli Wallach who I'm convinced is na- I'm now convinced was the John Turturro of his day in <laughs> that he that. could he was cast in any number of uh, ethnicities and he always delivered uh, <laughs> he's he's probably most known for Good the Bad and the Ugly yeah um, in which he I don't remember the name of his uh, Tuco oh, yeah uh, wonderful performance there, and he's very good in one. this as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, Loki has a moment where he's uh, confronting a, a crowd of innocents in the Avengers, and they were he, German. And he can. <sighs> we have German listeners, I think one. But anyway, and it's Matthias, Matthias. Sorry. So, um, and he demands that he commands them to kneel, which they do. And he says, is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You are made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Which, by the way, I think is really well written and it's so, <laughs> so villainous. They yeah. give him some really good villain lines to say. <laughs> uh, specifically in the scene with him and... Uh, Scarlett Johansson, which he says a uh, a word that I will not say here because it is wrong in other cultures. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was such that's such a Joss Whedonism. Like, oh no question. Coming up with a way to call somebody something horrible in another language so he can yeah. fit it in the script and not have to bleep it out. Yeah. He did, have you seen Firefly or Serenity? Yes. Okay. He's Firefly. Yeah, he has them swear in Mandarin. Oh. So yeah. the things they're saying in Mandarin are awful but because nobody knows what they're talking about it's fine uh or in some cases it's what they're saying sounds just like what it would sound like in english but it's not they're saying something like goram yeah like goram um yeah uh he's he's a brilliant wordsmith Mm -hmm. and you know if he were to write iron man 3 that means he could give mandarin swear words to the character the mandarin Ooh. Ooh. Hollywood, you're welcome. There you go. So um, now just CGI Yul Brenner's face on it, and we've come full circle. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that'd be the best. Let's do it. <laughs> he probably any okay. All right. Uh, so it's interesting because that is very similar to a line that Calvera says in uh, Magnificent Seven. He said in reference to the farmers, 
He says, if God didn't want them to be sheared, he would not have made them sheep. Um, and just the idea that these characters are just constantly not, belittling seems like too small of a word, but yeah. just dehumanizing yeah. their victims. Um, and so as if it's right for this to happen to right. them, like well, like Loki says, it's the natural state. Yeah. Which and it's, it's very satanic. Consider, really? I think so. I'm actually going to argue theologically with you on this. Okay. Like, yes, coming out of the mouth of Loki, that's obviously villainous. Mm-hmm. But we were never, like, read Genesis. It, it's certainly not this, like, grovel, weakling. But, like... God doesn't talk like that. Yeah. Um, everybody knows he sounds like James Earl Jones. Uh, but we were we were we were created to, you know, we're created beings, um, and we're created to live and have our lives be glorifying to the Father. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a degree where the the disturbing aspect of this is the aspect like the um, Loki as the. Um, the deity in this case is mm-hmm. not worthy of our of our glorification, which is what makes it um, so horrible. It's he's as opposed to uh, a situation where in our own hearts we're setting something up as an idol. He has deemed himself worthy of being made an idol and is trying to implant himself into that position. Mm-hmm. But he is also downplaying freedom and. Uh, worship, True. worship, like our worship of of God, freely given, is the essence of why it can be such a wonderful thing, and that is why we are given free will. Whereas Loki is saying that freedom is a bad thing, yeah, you know, and so I will take advantage of of this. Like it's a temptation. You should just give in to whatever. It's it's to me, it's the same reason why when why they say, uh, you know. Christ set the captives free. What what were they captive to? They were captive to uh, sin. Sin. Yes. And so, but in that, but yes, I understand what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, like it's. I I feel like it can be a fine line. You know, it's. I think Lewis talks about this, or it could have been Lewis. It could have been Keller. But it's the idea that, um, you know, we so often in our culture have the objection to Christianity made that someone feels like it's just this long list of rules, mm-hmm. and that's. You know, it's uh, oppressive. It's not, they, they're not free. But in any context, you, you're, only f- you're only free to do something within the limits of, of restraint. Like, I, think that's, I think that's Keller. Is it Keller? Because he yeah. talks about it like uh, playing music. Mm. Um, oh, that's, that's actually Lewis. Keller talks it, about uh, a fish being free provided he's in the ocean. Yeah. And then... I, I've, I've, a fish flopping around on the beach is technically free of the ocean, but he won't be free very yeah, long. Yeah, he won't be free very long. <laughs> I've always thought about it in the context of a... I'm a sports guy. Like, in the context of, like, a soccer game or a Frisbee game. Ultimate Frisbee. Greatest sport in the world. Um, I concur. Thank you, Josh. Uh, I, I don't think it's as good as no sports. Uh, no, that's false. Mm. Fundamentally flawed. Um, I don't know. But it's, I mean, with, it's my show. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I am, <laughs> good point. I am merely a guest. Check... End mate, <laughs> get off. Yeah. <laughs> Deus ex machina. Continue what you were saying. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's your show. I wanted to abide by your rules. I appreciate. That. Um, like You're made to be ruled. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> within the context of, let's say, a soccer game, which is played on a field, if you take the lines off the field, 
you actually can't play the game because mm-hmm. someone could theoretically have the strategy i'm going to dribble this ball around the world mm-hmm. like you the the game breaks down because you can't play it with an end with without a boundary it's only within the confines of the field that you can you're actually fl- free to play the game if somebody grabs the ball with their hands you're not playing the game anymore that's one of the rules of the game if anybody could just pick it up you wouldn't actually be playing soccer and life is the same way because we are created because there is a purpose there are boundaries that we have to adhere to and without those boundaries which you know uh those who would object to uh the teachings of scripture would say are you know merely I don't arbitrary. know what arbitrary or, uh, or fascist or whatever. Yeah. Like, but we see culturally the consequences of someone saying, "No, I should be f- free to do whatever I want." That inevitably leads to, you know, what we're we're seeing now, which is the argument of someone saying, "Well, you can't, you can't, you have no right to step into my life and tell me what I'm doing is wrong," mm-hmm. and you know, the the natural step to that is to go, "Okay, well." what if what you choose to do is, you know, steal somebody's pets and fricassee them? Like, well, because everybody always goes rape, and I didn't want to go there. Fair enough. Um, but, like, in... Went it, in a different direction, admittedly. I, I Good did. Good for you. Sorry, uh, I guess. Uh, new ground. Um, now, uh, I do want to mention a couple of things. First off, and this is a slight tangent, if in the middle of a basketball game a player said, I'm going to dribble around the world, I'd be like, you know what? Game's over. I want that. I want this man to dribble around the world. But yeah, but we're, we're not playing basketball be- <laughs> anymore. Now we're playing you win a world record for dribbling a ball around the world. That's fine. Yeah. Technically, I, I, I even still win because it's not... No, no, not, I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not arguing your point. I'm saying I much ra- if someone declare... If Kobe Bryant suddenly was like, you know what? I'm dribbling around, around the, world. the world in the midst of a game. In 80 days. In 80 days, I'm going to dribble With in Jackie my... Jackie Chan. <laughs> I'm going to dribble in my uh, hot air balloon, um, which will throw just, off the trajectory, I have I to assume. I just want to see Kobe Bryant in a hot air balloon now. I don't <laughs> want anything else. Dribbling a basketball? Else. doesn't matter. Just Kobe Bryant in a hot air balloon. Can you think of anything funny? Somebody in LA make that happen. <laughs> so that was the uh, first thing I had to say, which was not a real thing at all. Uh, the second thing, uh, this actually does bring us to, um, to the theme because... Uh, Tim Keller, I believe in that same uh, sermon, talks about the idea of, of limitation. Yeah. But that, and that we, we're taught to say like, oh, there are no limits. You know, it's, it's a very American idea. Like free yeah. countries, you mm-hmm. know, you're only limited by your imagination. And that's not a bad message, by the way. Until you get a kid who's like, if I flap real hard, I can fly. And now you've got a smushed kid on your conscience. Concrete is what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, on your conscience and concrete. (laughs) Um, Either way, it's a problem, and you've got to deal with it. But uh, Sin has more than just the physical effect. It sure does. There's also the emotional There's a worldly consequence. Heck yeah. Mm. I think I discussed that in a mini-sode. But specifically, kids (laughs) dying. So, um, the... This went dark. Yeah. Uh... But I, th- I think I think he talks about, you know, a kid who's five two, and says, "I can be in the NFL." Now the movie Rudy aside, that was only Notre Dame football, exactly. And he only Merely played for like Notre six Dame minutes. Football. 
but uh, but like any kid who says that, it's probably not going to happen. There's yeah. probably a different, if you'll pardon me, a different purpose for you, uh, spiritually speaking. And that's and and I think a lot of people are they get angry about that. It's like, but this is what I want to do. It's like, but why on earth would you want to do that? I mean, for uh, okay, this is going to sound. It is really stupid what I'm about to say. Uh, the other day, I was like, I am never going to go into space. That's really depressing to me. You don't know that. Com- commercial say- space travel is only like a decade away. Okay, here's what, the other thing I said right after. I'm never going to be president. Uh, that one I, I would feel not like- vote for you. What? Sorry. Maybe you can be president of space. Who? That'd be awesome. You could be the first moon president. Yeah. You know How what? B.A. would that be if you were the first president of the moon? You know what? We really could elect you the president of the moon right now. Who's going to stop us? I know. It's on, it's on record. Yeah. And if this episode gets nominated for a podcast award, that's basically a confirmation. Oh, right. Yeah. So, um, podcast award nominated moon president Tyler Smith. <laughs> that's, please make business cards. I, I want to introduce you. I say that. I'll be making t-shirts. So, uh, <laughs> host of more than one lesson. So, Podcast of the Moon President. My fellow moon men. <laughs> so the point was, uh, there are things that sound very neat to me that I will probably never get to do, all joking aside. And it sounds weird. It's like, well, I have no desire to go to the moon. I have no desire to be president. But for some reason, I'm, ups- I'm upset that you won't. That I won't. It's like when you find out that someone you don't like doesn't like you. You're like, oh, come on. What's so but wrong? I'm what's awesome. So I'm entitled to dislike you because you suck, but yeah. I'm quite What's quite so great. bad about me? Um, By the way, if you were the first moon president, you could declare it as the first Christian astrological satellite. Ooh. It could be like a whole moon of Christians. There'd be moon pilgrims heading out there. Hey. Oh, boy. We all know the pilgrims turned out just right. Absolutely. We wouldn't exploit the, uh, the Moondians the moon, yeah, the moon, or anything the like moon that. Indians? Yeah. They're like Moon Indians. So I feel good about that because we need to move into can't. the thematic element of this episode. Yeah, yeah. There's a purpose for everybody. I want to talk about your campaign for Moon President. That This is my campaign for Moon President. <laughs> Let me, oh, okay. You all clearly right, did right. not read the second page we of notes I had. I didn't. Oh, dang it. So, um, but no, it's not merely the, the purpose thing. Although, it, I mean, it is that, but it's also this idea that much like in Magnificent Seven and much like in the Avengers, like everybody has a role to play, uh, and that is a very biblical attitude. There are many verses about it. Uh, there are some extended passages that we'll actually be reading. Um, but I want to talk about this idea that there's, in, in realizing that it's a twofold thing. Because it would be very easy, and you made reference to this a little earlier, and I've talked about it online on Facebook. It would be very easy for Thor to look at Hawkeye and be like, I'm basically a god, except I dress like this. You are good with a bow and arrow. Great. Great. You are great with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Uh, Now... You could run out of arrows. One of the most which BA projectiles. And thank you, Joss Whedon, for putting that into the film. I was very happy about that. It was There's a very, very human moment. Uh, um, nothing worse than the un, unending clip of bullets mm, or it. a quiver of arrows. Yeah. But uh, 
so it would be very easy for Thor to do that. And in fact, there are scenes where uh, Tony Stark does that with uh, Captain America. Which is just silly. But but he says, with that, you're, you know, the only thing good about you came out of a test tube. And then Captain America comes back and says, take off your armor and say that. Or, you know, without the armor, what are you? He says, put on your armor so we can fight. But he says, without your armor, what are you? Like, they're both, like, there's the tendency to diminish the other person's contribution. Yeah. Um, and I think you can find that in the Christian community. Yeah, I don't think you have to look very hard. Not no. at all. In fact, I had a few. I had a discussion with somebody a few weeks ago. I won't say who it was because it was a friend, uh, and we got in a rather heated discussion, during which time he talked about. I think I was talking about Steve Jobs having changed the world. Yeah, and uh, and how that is a good thing, and then he said, and then this friend of mine said. Well, what does that even mean that he changed the world? And then he started talking about, you know, what about the people who are, you know, pastors and missionaries? Like, like when you think about it from a spiritual standpoint, like they're the ones changing the world. And it should be known that this friend of mine, I think, majored in theology. And it bothered me in that moment. I was like, so basically what you're saying is the only person doing God's work are pastors and missionaries. What about, say, oh, a film critic? What about, and my wife was there with me and she's a wedding photographer, what about wedding photographers? Can they do God's work? Can God work through them? Like, yeah. it, it bothered me so much. And incidentally, I mean, he, he walked back from it and we had a very civil discussion afterwards. Mm. But there is that tendency to think in those terms that only a few people can, can do God's will. You can think that as someone who clearly, obviously can, but you can also think of it as someone who feels like they can't. Mm. Yeah. Someone who feels like this is beyond us. I believe there's even uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye have a discussion like this is more than what Nothing we were, we were trained, trained for. for. Like in in many ways, we shouldn't be here. Um, and so you can think of it both ways, self-deprecating, you know, an inferiority and a superiority kind of way. But neither of them are right. Mm. Um, because the Bible has room for everybody and you never know what somebody, how God can use somebody. And if, and if somebody's doing what they are specifically called to do, then, you know, what more can you really ask for? Uh, you know, Sean, I know like you are a personal yes, trainer. I, that, that is true. I know. I wasn't trying to trick anybody. Oh, uh, but, could have uh, fooled me. Hey, <laughs> yeah, screw this guy. So, um, you're faster than you used to be because of me. That's probably true. I, so, out, I outran you a couple times. Saturday. Yeah, you jerk. I got to start throwing a wrench in the works. Are you going to start throwing a wrench at Josh? At me. I have to catch Ooh, Maybe I can so do that wonderful. in tomorrow morning's boot camp. Oh. Do it on do it on a mic, please. So so you are a personal trainer. There, yes. there's, there are some that would say, well, really, how can somebody do God's work in being a personal trainer? There might be even some who say... Well, you are playing into human vanity, people who want to look better so that they can feel better about themselves, and your job is playing right into that. Your yep. job is to make people feel worse about themselves. But that's what someone could say without having met you. Having, you know, not only do I know you, but also I've been trained, you know, I, I'm, you are my personal trainer for years now. Yep. And I've been able to see... 
that you've incorporated your Christian beliefs and a certain mindset about what really matters. Yeah. And you've incorporated it into the way you train people. Now, of course, you speak it very overtly to me because we believe the same thing. But I know that you don't speak or you haven't spoken as overtly to other clients, but the principle is still there. Yeah. That this is not what makes you valuable, that you look good. Yeah, it was funny. I actually had a... um Camp Gladiator has a, a beach workout in Santa Monica on Saturdays, and uh, we were out there, and there was a, I don't know if he was a rival boot camp company or something, but there was a guy out there with a grip of people, um, but he was yelling at them, and to be heard on the beach, you got to get your voice up, and I understand that, but he was, he was to a degree being demeaning, and he was talking about them quitting and rest when you're dead, and we're close enough to each other that... We I, like I can plainly hear him, and I know he could hear me. And I'm talking to my crew, and I've worked, developed a plan, a program where there's rest involved. So at one point, I like I went. It was time, it, like it was, it was 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest, and we hit the rest section. And I went rest because it's healthy. And I mean, <laughs> I wasn't trying to start a fight, but like after the. The camp was over. I kind of pulled all my campers together and was like, listen, that guy being here and the way he treats people just makes me want to say, you're, this is a workout, but you're not a number. Like, you're a person when you leave here, whether you enjoyed the workout, whether you feel like you gave it your best or not, it doesn't matter. Like, I I feel like it's very easy for, especially in the in like the physical fitness industry, for people to lose perspective on what they're doing mm-hmm. and i think it's uh, admittedly i think in almost any industry so yes yeah, yeah. i mean i i see it more because it's you know my wheelhouse but mm-hmm. um you know and and that like the idea of you're a number is really like i've been noticing it more and more it's either you're your weight or you're your size or you are your measurements or you are your bench press or you are your mile time or you are your this or you're that i'm like no you're not that's something that helps like it would it would go on your wikipedia page but it wouldn't be the title Mm -hmm. of the wikipedia page it wouldn't be in the little synopsis that happens like that first little bit before the you know here are the the key points where we go relationship and all that what is that called uh, yeah. key yeah there you go index something yeah. um but we've been trained to think of ourselves as like what what is your number we get to pick what that number is whether it's sat score or bank account or blah 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 but it's just numbers. You're just picking what number you'd like to define you, whether it's as high as you can get it or as low as you can get it. And at the end of the day, that's just not, it. It doesn't make any sense that that is our that is a qualifier. And that comes out of primarily your faith, like the the oh, yeah. understanding, because you will not find that attitude very much in Los Angeles. Yeah, and if, so, if I didn't know Jesus, that wouldn't make that wouldn't come out right. And so, like. He's pretty and awesome. that, even that's a more overt way than I think than some some careers. And I don't mean to even make it just about careers, by the way. Yeah, it can be anything. Yeah, like totally. there are some people who could who are like, well, 
I'm a stay-at-home dad or I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's what I do. Yeah. God certainly can't use me. And it's like, well, he's certainly using you in the lives of your children, not to mention the lives of the people that see what you do day in, day yeah. out. Like, it can be anything. It yeah. could just be, you could, I'm sorry, you could be a single person who is on disability and they cannot do a job for whatever reason. Like, physically, they can't do a job. Your attitude could be the role that you play. You know what I mean? And it's just yeah. like, there is no limitation to this. And so I will read something yeah. from uh, Romans, Romans 12, verses three, and five, 3 through 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So that one is pretty self-explanatory. I have a very, I have a very large passage here from 1 Corinthians. Who has agreed to bring it? Okay, Sean, not in that voice. What? No. I'm sorry. You need people need to be able to not be scared. Oh. so Don't go ahead and ring. Don't be scared of scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. Oh, you started to, I thought you just started to read it. Oh, Because yeah. you were dis- dissatisfied with, <laughs> just gave up. Um, yeah, um, excuse me. Uh, cough, cold, blah. Um, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, what would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with specific honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined these members of the body and has given great honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay. So, in the spirit of the Avengers... Yeah, there are probably there's probably one or two uh, members of that team that played a larger role Hulk on the surface in the overall victory. I would say probably Iron Man and yep. Hulk because Iron Man winds up taking the big uh, nuclear bomb that uh, blows up this alien race. Um, Poor alien. And then Hulk smash sm- smashes uh, Loki. Brilliant moment again. Yes, <laughs> oh. puny god. So. 
So on the surface, that's that's how it seems. But it's worth noting that I believe the whole reason that Loki finds himself in front of the Hulk is because Hawkeye shoots an arrow into him that Loki catches and then it explodes, yep. knocking him off of his little air bike on into this building. And I think that's where Hulk is. I believe that's the order, right? Something like that. Yes. Very Either way, close. it begin like that arrow is what starts Loki down the path towards. Hey, uh, I'm about to be horribly brutalized. Black Widow, who's just a just a person that can fight really well, but when it comes right down to it, just has a gun. And I mean, two we guns. see we two guns. I'm sorry. And she also has like wrist thingies. Oh, who doesn't these days? That's so um, I have six myself. All the kids got those wrist thingies. And two guns. And two guns. Thanks a lot, politicians. I didn't want to get specific. So, um, so yeah, it's... And you see, she, I mean, she's kind of struggling. Like, she's, like, out of breath. Like, she's just... She's having a hard time. But they come to realize that the only way to keep these aliens from continuing to come in is to close this portal. The only way to do that is to have an effect on this... Uh, on the tesseract. cosmic cube. The Tesseract. And so she's the one who sort of figures out how to do that. So she hitches a ride on a, on an alien uh, air bike, which is, and then she shoves two knives in his back and uses them to steer. That's great. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, and so and so she goes up and she manipulates the tesseract in such a way that okay, now I know how to close this. If she hadn't done that, then it doesn't matter what Iron Man did. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what Hulk did. Yeah. You know, in the same way. Uh, oh, shoot. Now I'm going to. Okay. Who introduced Peter to Christ? Was it Andrew? Uh, I can't remember. I don't. You know what? I don't totally remember. And I it, this is not something I was God. planning on bringing. Okay. It was God. That's yes. not the point I'm making. Not oh. the point I'm making. Uh, oh. But uh, I remember years ago, and clearly I'm only thinking of this now. This was I did not plan ahead and just decided not to look that up. Uh, I had heard this years ago that I think it was Peter who went on to preach and converted thousands upon thousands of people uh, to you know brought them to Christ. But I believe it was it was Peter's brother Andrew. Yeah. Okay. Andrew is who brought Peter to Christ. And the only recorded, like, conversion, not to speak in terms of, like, we are responsible for somebody else's conversion. That's not the case. But the only recorded, like, conversion that Andrew has is Peter. Now, that's one as opposed to thousands. And yet that one made the thousands possible. Like, everybody has a part to play. Yeah. And one could seem small. One could seem big. You know, but they're all part of it. Yeah. And so... That's something that I know that for myself, I often, I often think like, really, what could I do? It, like, what what role am I playing in this life? Yeah, I have a small movie podcast <laughs> and an even smaller movie podcast. That's right. The first one I was talking about was Battleship Pretension, <laughs> whose numbers is not what uh, are not what you would think. Uh, and more than one lesson, even smaller. What role do I have to play? Yeah. We can have a tendency to think that, like, if we're not seeing the immediate results or um, in some ways an even more insidious idea that we're, if we're not involved specifically in the work of the church, 
um, then that means we're not really uh, an important part of the body. But right. that's not that's not the case at all. And that really, uh, if we think about it, that kind of belittles God's power to say that well, He can't use, like you said before, a stay-at-home mom, or He can't use a plumber, or something mm-hmm. like that, or or even to say that He can't use someone who has never converted anybody or has converted one person in their entire lifetime, something like that. Well, it it runs under a fundamental misconception. I was thinking about this on the way over here. It's, um, if, you know, we're talking about Avengers, we're talking about the Magnificent Seven. If Brit from the Magnificent Seven, like, had, was given lines, like, looked, if all of these characters lived, looked to... Chris and was like, I'm who is played was Yul Brenner, the leader of the the group. If he looks at him and says, Okay, you're obviously more important than me, I don't need to be here mm-hmm. and chose to remove himself from that situation. Um that's obviously not the plan of the writer mm-hmm. who is separate from like who is above the characters in the film. The characters in the film don't have the right to look at one another and say you do not have a purpose here because the writer put them there for a specific reason mm-hmm. if they did that we as you know objectively could go well clearly you don't know what the writer is trying to do you do not have the ability to make that choice that is the circumstance of our own lives like we have been created and set on a path for the glorification of the Lord. We can't, we can't fathom it. We can't fathom its depth and its breadth. And to a certain degree, we can, we're only really able to fathom our own use in it to a very small degree. Like you can only understand that, which, you know, is within your, your desired scope of comprehension. Like, so, so often within the body, and you know, it's what you guys were just talking about. We do look to one another, or more often time, you would look at ourselves and go, "What what purpose could I possibly have to be here?" And the, the misconception is that we have the ability to look and see the broader picture. That's something we don't have. We can't do that. So it's incredibly arrogant to go. Oh well, I, I I don't have a purpose, and God's like, "What do you mean you don't have a purpose?" Like, yeah, it's to say that we know the plan better than God knows. The plan. Yeah, and it's also to run under the assumption that um, the salvation of one is uh, less useful than the salvation of many. Right to the Creator of the universe who cares enough and desires that none should be cast into the fire. Um, the salvation of one is of the utmost importance. Yeah, I mean, if there's parables y- about uh, yeah. you know the the one sheep that went astray, and then celebrating that one coming back. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I actually had um, I know that you've got a quote from C.S. Lewis, but I was um, I go to a different church than the two of you two. Um, I <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> their church joking. isn't really part of the body. Yeah. Like, uh, I, They're kind of going against it. Like imagine, imagine like a gnarled hand. Yeah. Okay. I'm joking, of course. Ma- ma- maybe we just forgot everything cells. we just said. <laughs> cancer cells. What? <laughs> oh, come on. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
No, I'm not going to do that. That would have been wrong. Um, uh, in I I, I uh, had kind of run the parking ministry at Reality mm-hmm. uh, Reality Church of Los Angeles, and it is still the least popular ministry area at church. We get the least volunteers because you run it. I can only assume. Okay. Um, it's it's viewed as incredibly uh, unimportant. It's the farthest from the action as it was. Yeah. Like it's not you're very not, glamorous. Yeah, it's not very glamorous, and you end up sitting in a parking lot all day. Um, but in that, I have been incredibly blessed by the opportunities the Lord has presented for um, just blessing people, being nice to people, and uh, you know the topic of this podcast made me think of Acts 6. Um, I guess I don't have to read it. Um, at, you know, in, as the, the church is just forming, uh, you know, Christ has ascended and they were all living in community, but there, uh, there were a group of people, um, uh, widows were being neglected in, uh, the daily distribution of food. So, it had to be like a group of people had to be chosen to take care of it. Like this isn't a glamorous job. It's not like, Hey, we got a whole bunch of demons. Y'all, we, we need a demon crew. Let's make demon busters. And like, you know, which would have been sweet, but it's no, we have a responsibility to care for these people and they're getting missed. So we need to make people whose job, someone whose job is specifically to make sure these people get fed and from the outside, that does not appear glamorous, but amongst the list of guys who, who got picked, one of them is Stephen, who is actually the first guy who ends up getting martyred, um, or the first one that's recorded after the, the um, ascension of Christ. And, you know, it, it always makes me think of that, and I've heard pastors talk about it um, in the, the past, like, if our if we have a heart of service, if we truly are willing to go, you know what, Lord, I'm open to do whatever. Like, we shouldn't be. You should almost look for the task that nobody wants to do. You know, hey, who's making sure the toilets get clean? Nah. Well, obviously, no one. So I got it. Like, because it's not about the thanks that you get. It's about I'm, you know doing something I mean, and the thing is like like to- that's a perfect example like toilets being clean like i'm sure as you're scrub like you're at your church scrubbing the toilets it's probably pretty easy to think like what good is this doing but you never know and you never know a visitor could come to your church and be like and and otherwise think like these toilets are disgusting this church i is never want yeah the like the, I've gone, I've gone to churches and I've gone to schools where it's like I will wait to get home, yeah, before I go to the bathroom. And and the thing is, like that that may appear to have no consequence at all, but someone who is like I'm going to wait to get home, that person's not going to hang out and they're not going to fellowship because they've got to get home to go to the bathroom. Right. We've we've had people comment on the parking team specifically and in a variety of different ministries where like we've found we can be the difference between somebody staying and somebody going. Absolutely. If someone had a rough day, like rough morning waking up and then traffic was bad, if we don't have a parking space for them, like we've, the church has gotten emails where people are like, I, it was my first day and seriously, I, 
I actually remember having people like sit in their, like some, you see somebody sitting in their car and if you just ignore them, I mean, that's weird. You're just sitting in a car in a parking lot, but going up and just checking in and going, Hey, how you doing? Like, are, mm-hmm. is everything all right? That can be the thing that make like someone feeling welcome. And the, the thing that I try and remind my teams of as often as possible is the members of the, the parking team could be the first person that a non-believer uses to determine how excited Christ is that they're there. So if you hate your job and you're like walking around pissed off and you're like, park there. I said park there. Oh, for the love. Shut up. You know what? Get out. Like, how are they supposed to, how are they supposed to take their cue from that? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I will use that to transition us into this uh, large passage by uh, C.S. Lewis in which he talks about a Christian society and what that would look mm. like. Uh, specifically this idea of like, well, if Christians ran society, and he addresses that in this passage. Josh, take us away. This, right, is, from, this, this is from Mere Christianity, I'm this sorry. Is Clive Staples Lewis mm-hmm. speaking about just the stuff we've been talking about, you know, following suit. So anyway, here we go. Uh, people say the church ought to give us a lead. That is true if they mean it in the right way, but false if they mean it in the wrong way. By the church, they ought to mean the whole body of practicing Christians. And when they say that the church should give us a lead, they ought to mean that some Christians, those who happen to have the right talents, should be economists and statesmen, and that all economists and statesmen should be Christians, and that their whole efforts in politics and economics should be directed to putting do-as-you-would-be-done-by into action. If that happened, and if we others were really ready to take it, then we should find the Christian solution for our own social problems pretty quickly. But of course, when they ask for a lead from the church, most people mean they want the clergy to put out a political program. That is silly. (laughs) The clergy are those particular people within the whole church who have been specially trained and set aside to look after what concerns us as creatures who are going to live forever. And we are asking them to do a quite different job for which they have not been trained. The job is really on us, on the layman. The application of Christian principles, say, to trade unionism and education must come from Christian trade unionists and Christian schoolmasters, just as Christian literature comes from Christian novelists and dramatists, not from the bench of bishops getting together and trying to write plays and novels in their spare time. Now, that last part has a special meaning for more than one lesson. Uh, Oh, dear. Go back and listen to that fireproof and uh, courageous episode. Um, But that, to me, is, like, very exciting, the idea of that, that it's not, first off, that Christians feel like they're useless unless they are part of the clergy. Mm. But also, the clergy feel like they're the only ones really qualified to, to do, do any, anything. Any, any other job. Because they're the ones that really are in tune with, with Christ. Um, like, that is an understanding that we all have our parts to play. And the clergy could, like, the clergy could go to, to the trade unionist. Do I know what that is? Only a little bit. And says, and says like... You're not doing God's work. It's like, yes, I am, because I'm doing what I'm doing the work that God has called me to do. What is God's work if not that? You know, and so, and again, I don't mean to put this only in terms of career. That yeah. is often how we think, but it could be anything. Any lot that you have in life, how you deal with it is is part is a testament to your relationship with with Christ. Yeah. I mean there there's several verses that talk about, you know, the qualifications of being a deacon and being an elder and um if 
your role as a parent, which is weighing heavy on me at the moment, um, wasn't of paramount importance, it wouldn't be a disqualifying factor should you get it wrong. Um, and that's, you know, uh, in, uh, in Timothy, like when, when it talks about leading up elders, it's always taught, there's always something about, um, what's the state of the family? Um, what, how are your, how's your relationship with your kids? Like husband and one wife, stuff like that. Your Christ sets us first. Like as, as a guy, my first responsibility is to the, uh, the ministering of the word to my family, not the ministering of my word of the word to a church. And you know, it works that way in, in every context, the ministry to the family is more important than the ministry to a larger group of people. Yeah. Um, and I would go as far as to say any pastor who is willing to sacrifice the family for the work of a larger church body is in sin. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, no, that's the thing is like, we're talking in terms of like, pl- you know, knowing what your role is and valuing that yeah. and also valuing other people's roles, but also understanding the responsibility that comes with those. Um, you know, and that's, that's sort of what we're, what we were talking about with uh, the Hulk is that first off, he comes to be ashamed. He, he's ashamed of who he is and what he is. And he comes to eventually recognize that maybe it's not such a bad thing and he uses it for good with, with great power comes great responsibility All right. and God has given, it doesn't really even matter who you are. God has given you a gift in some way and you have a responsibility with that gift and it, it doesn't really, it could, I don't know what it is yeah. for, for each person. It's different for everybody, but like you need to be a good steward of that. And yeah. Like, and, and you are not entitled to determine whether or not that gift is of worth. Right. That's, that's not part of your responsibility. And I know that's, and that's, that, I think that's the note I, the, the note I want to end on is that, uh, speaking for myself and possibly, and, and you guys as well, I don't know. But, uh, as I said a moment ago, I know that I'm constantly, and I said in my testimony that when I felt God calling me to be a critic, I was like, no, he's not because he wouldn't, God wouldn't call any to be anybody to be a critic because come on. Uh, but I came to eventually embrace that, but I still have my moments of saying like, there's an emergency and only a critic can stop it. Um, I was going to say only the Hulk could stop it. What a critic's not as important as the Hulk. So, <laughs> Just not qualified, Tyler. I've taken the wrong uh, uh, lesson from this. You see, what, what Tyler's done, listeners, is taken the wrong tack from this. He's, uh Thankfully, that, well, okay. Um, but that's the thing is, like, I still have moments where I think, like, I'm really, I'm not doing, I'm not serving an important function. Yeah. But, and even, and sometimes I'll get an email from a listener, I'm like, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh, good. And sometimes it'll be a nice, long, dry spell. And I, and that's when I have to just, just like look to Christ and recognize like, that's where my identity is. That's where my value is. He has given me this. Mm -hmm. He's given me this talent. He's given me these opportunities. So this is what I have to do. Yeah. And, and there's a certain degree of comfort in that. And I, and if there are any, uh, listeners who feel as though wherever they are right now, um, 
and they feel like they're worthless and that they can't really do anything. And perhaps other people are making them feel worthless. Other Christians are saying what you're doing couldn't possibly help the, the kingdom of God. Yeah, you don't have to listen to that person you, anymore. You don't have to listen to that person anymore. Because um, they haven't read yeah. the Bible. you got to listen to me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm and if you don't, then I will start person, to devalue what I do. Yeah, by the way. you have to listen to, it's Tyler. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to a lesser extent, Josh. And to no extent, extent, me. Um, except about this. Throw, throw a reminder on your, on your calendar to write Tyler a nice email. Aww. It does help. It sure does. That's purely selfish. When you get nice emails, our training sessions are better. Uh, that's true, actually. <laughs> so it helps out Sean as well. And so, I don't... And I, I guess if you hate what I say, like... Send him a zinger on Wednesday, and I'll have a crap day on Thursday. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and that's the thing, is if I get good emails, I punch Josh less. So, and, uh, Interesting side note for those of you uh, listening. Part of Tyler's training program, as a reward, he is allowed to punch me in the chest as hard as he can. Yes. It's with no get, gloves, sometimes. With, with no gloves, sometimes, and it's getting harder and harder for me to deal with it. That's right. That's a testament to you, though. All right, so uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this super long episode. Uh, Heck yeah. It's not the longest, of course. Super long. What? Like superheroes. Or like super Josh long. Like if you got infected with gamma radiation, you'd be super long. I'd, I'd be dead, most likely. Most likely, yes. That's how you are. Yeah. But oh, it, no, you're no, not superhero material. No superheroes coming. So. I, on the other hand, would get superpowers. Oh, there's no question. Probably. You kind of already have them. But uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Sean, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. I earnestly thought you would never na- make this mistake again. I uh, pledged I wouldn't. And yet here <laughs> we are. So, um, Sean, is there, any, is there anywhere that people can find you online? Are you on uh, Twitter or anything? Uh, yes, I'm on Twitter at RealWorldFit. All right. Um, and, uh, you know, any Camp Gladiator stuff, we can be, I'm on, uh, Camp Gladiator, uh, CampGladiatorLA.com. I'm one of the trainers out here in Los Angeles. It's a fantastic program and I, I like it because it's the first training, um, training system where I feel like all of the trainers involved care more about the people than they care about the money, Mm -hmm. um, which is rare. Um, but it makes for an amazing, um, an amazing relationship that, uh, I had not found anywhere else. So I jumped at the opportunity to work with these people. And I um, can vouch for the fact that it's a good program cause I, I work out yeah. that as well. It was started by the woman who won American gladiators when it relaunched. Oh yeah. She like won the whole thing. She's a crazy that. town and it's awesome. Yeah. All right. So you can find Sean there. You can go to more than one lesson.com and, uh, Listen to sermons and uh, read articles and all that sort of thing. You can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter. That's at more lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Uh, and incidentally, uh, if you wanted to do me a favor, you could head on over to battleshippretension.com, click on the video button, and there's uh, several video reviews uh, that David and I do for uh, new, uh, newer movies, such Including as The Avengers. Avengers yeah. Yes. We do one for The Avengers. We do one for the Richard Linklater film Bernie, starring Jack Black, uh, a film called God Bless America, 
and uh, Dark Shadows, the Tim Burton film Dark Shadows. Those are the most recent four, uh, and we would like to uh, get as many clicks as possible on that. And uh, I'm also rather proud of them, so I'd like people to see them. So go to BattleshipRetention.com and click on the video button and uh, and help us out. So, uh, Sean, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. Josh, thank you, as always. Well, you're welcome. Maybe if I stopped thinking, you'd stop just being... I might, I might just not be here anymore. I might not show up oh, this time. That would be the best... You'd be sad. You'd try to introduce me, and then I wouldn't be over here, and then a little tear would come down your eye, and it'd be like that music from the Hulk TV show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. All right. Thank you for being here, Josh. And thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'll get you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.